Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Mark Bell's Power Project Podcast. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Free Sleeve. And SEMA, um, I mean, ice has been around since forever. Uh, it's been a known thing in recovery. What makes the Free Sleeve so much better than traditional ice? You know, it's funny. I think back to my college days of playing soccer and even a few years back, whenever I'd have to use ice, I'd get like these like ice pack block things. I'd put it in a paper towel and I'd sit down on my couch and I'd have to ice each individual knee or if my elbow was hurting, I had to sit there and ice my elbow. It would like leak all over the place. Water would get on the ground. It was the most frustrating experience ever. (laughs) And then when I finally found out about the damn free sleeve, like I was just able to put it on. I was able to walk around. I was able to do the things I needed to do before bed. And it's just so smart. I don't know why nobody thought about this before, but hey, we got it now. Yeah. Don't be like college in SEMA. Drop the straps, wraps, and ice packs and upgrade your ice packs today by heading over to freesleeve.com at checkout. Enter promo code POWER25 for 25% off your order and free shipping on all domestic orders. Oh, 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 Ashton Rusuka. Uh Ruska. Ruska. And he's he's so like okay, he's thick. Like his whole Dude, body's just jacked. thick. Well he's he's it's the uh, he's the kingpin for the USAPL's uh two oh five class. Okay. Which was formerly the one ninety eight class. But yeah, he's like the he's the Russ Soul of that class basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's absolutely insane. He's yeah, he's squatted Fuck, how do he squat? High. I think, I think mid, this, mid sevens. Yeah, in this video he squatted like seven something and then he deadlifted like eight. Yeah, yeah, he's left it over 800, and his bench is not bad either. I forget. Maybe bench like 485. Yeah. You know, I mean, but I think he's like 20 years old. Dude, yeah, yeah, he's impressive. Is this the guy? That's Super Saiyan Bob. Mm Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. He's 20? No, Super Saiyan Bob's a little older. Uh, Mm. Oh, so this is not the guy. Uh, No, but he's in this video. Well, Ashton, I think, is a father. So here's Kevin Oak randomly in the corner doing doing 335 uh, overhead presses. Freaking mutant. He's jacked. I was with him in New Mexico when he pulled 805 beltless for a double. Yeah, he's benching over five, squatting close to 900. Yeah, there's Ashton. He's a nice kid. I talked to him once in a while. Look at how freaking flawless his squat is. And he's just dumb jacked. Mm -hmm. What was that about? And how does this guy squat 650? He's 185, too. This Bob? guy? Yeah, I think Bob is 185. That's really strong. Yeah, man. He, he gained strength fast, too. I Bob, watched him. He did. I remember watching him not too long ago, and it's like his numbers just jumped. Yeah. Bob, you're a beast. And he's entertaining as well. He, he used <laughs> to do, like, these weird lifts on his page, like, uh, I don't know, it was like a squat starting from the ground or something. Oh, I, shit, it, really? it was wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wild. You guys ever see Kevin Oak uh, take that 500 pounds and like yeah. flip it upside, yeah, flip yeah, it yeah. on its side and then put it on its back and then yeah. squat it? Oh, like this thing? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah pretty that, impressive. That's, what that guy, that's what that guy was doing. He had 500 yeah. pounds in the bar and he literally lifts up one side of it so the other side's still in the ground and he picks yeah, it up. What the hell's the name of that? Over his head. You know, like he's trying to like stand it up straight from the ground. And then just kind of inserts himself under it, and then just kind of lets it go like over him, like a squat, and then squats with it, but like from and the ground. puts it back down. Yeah, yep. I could do that with one thirty-five. <laughs> yeah, <me too. laughs> Don't they do that in strongman? They do. Yeah. Okay. I'll, yeah, I'll they take some out. sort of odd object and they. But powerlifters are maybe supposed like one-dimensional. Saxon squat or something, or Saxon that sounds right. press or something. I don't know. Sounds good to me. <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy. 
I don't know if we're live. I believe yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're live. Yeah, we're live. Oh, hey. All the way. Oh, hey, what's going on, Mike? Right? Wow, I was talking all this shit. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> yeah we didn't know. We didn't know we were on the air. Now yeah. we're troubled by everybody. <laughs> I take it all back. <laughs> but that shows how, how awesome of people we are. Like, not even realizing we're on air. We're just like, this guy's amazing. Yeah. This guy's awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, luckily we weren't bad mouthing. <laughs> everyone on YouTube. <laughs> what have you been up to? Just trying to be a little bit more than an average powerlifter these days. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Getting getting some strength back up again? Yes, sir. It's been going well. And uh, have you done any uh, bodybuilding or anything like that beforehand? Or No, nah, that show that I did right before I came up last time, that was my last one. Uh, I'm good with competing now. So <laughs> I like I like maintaining the, like bodybuilding style training and obviously nutrition, but you have to be in love with it to like do the yeah. full contests. And I've done it a lot since I was a teen, so I- I'm good now. I think that last show was a perfect way to go out. Fun Can experience. you get in bodybuilding shape without a bodybuilding show? You well, so I think you have to be like borderline psychotic to do it. Like you can definitely, but like there's a huge difference between just getting lean or even getting like generally shredded and then getting stage ready. Yeah, and to get the stage ready, it's like you're dying. Like you're suffering by the end of that to a point where most people aren't going to stay doing that unless there's like a very specific reason for it so usually just looking good like for the beach is not going to be a reason so i mean in theory you could but i think you'd have to have like be really mentally tapped (laughs) you most likely wouldn't go too far if if it if you weren't getting on stage if you're getting on stage maybe you kind of screw up in your preparation and and take it too far and maybe get a little too skinny yeah or like lose a little bit i mean but you're not going to take it to those extremes or even you just get super dry or cramp up on stage mm-hmm. or yeah you're, you're right you're not going to do any of those extremes if you're just even just doing a photo shoot. yeah you're right there'd be no reason to and you just kind of go by the mirror a little bit more and like just what looks good instead of like the standard you know you have to reach for the stage how do you balance it out you know between bodybuilding and powerlifting and uh you know, mentioning last time you were here that you had some trouble with like binging and stuff like that. Yeah. So the bingings, I'm good with that now. Um, thankfully, that was just a matter of getting away from like the mentality of tracking so much. Not that tracking is bad for everybody. It's just different triggers for different people. But after competing and dieting for so long that whenever I track it kind of get me back into that mindset. So um, we Ariana actually helped me out a ton. Just she would just force me to like get away from like, you know, labeling certain foods as good or bad or I have to do extra cardio if I eat this thing. And she just started like fixing me like lunches and dinners, which is with, with like normal, well rounded foods. But then when we just wouldn't eat a ton of it, you know, we'd have like three I intermittent fast anyway, just because I like that. So mm-hmm. I we'd have like three large meals in a day at most. And it'd be good. I wouldn't gain fat that way because I wasn't eating over my calories and I was just kind of getting familiar with regular foods again and I wasn't going crazy. Crazy with it is Ariana Chubby Chaser. She this is uh, what you're trying to tell us. <laughs> she likes to fatten she, you up a little. She bit. likes she likes when I get a little fluffy. When you got a little cake mm-hmm. back there. When I got a little, yeah a little cake. <laughs> <laughs> she likes when I prepare the gluten free cake just right. And then I think there's another part to that question, but I forget it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well, <laughs> a lot of people are scared of letting go of the scale. I remember when I started like trying to stop doing that. I was. I, was, I had a little anxiety. With yeah. That. So, I mean, um, you said you implemented some fasting. What else did you kind of do to get yourself comfortable with not having to track daily? To get over my eating disorder, I decided not to eat. <laughs> there we go. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I don't think there was too many tricks. It was more just kind of rewiring patterns in your mind. Because that's what it comes down to. Like when you binge or even when you just develop unhealthy habits, they're habits. So you just it's just a matter of taking the time to reroute 
mm-hmm. you know, the synapses reroute those new habits. So it was getting away from tracking, getting away from obsessing, and then just sticking to that plan of eating kind of balanced and staying active, of course, in the gym and with cardio and whatnot. And then just trusting that kind of the same way you trust a program or a diet. And over time I started seeing, I was like, Hey, I feel great in the gym. I'm not gaining extra fat. I don't have to, I'm not, you know, fluffing up just to lift heavy. This is great. And then you kind of, it's a brand new habit. Now you're like, all right, this is the new norm. You eventually kind of get on board with that. Plus being out of a caloric deficit helps as well. Cause you don't have like the ghrelin and the leptin fighting you, making you starving. Mm-hmm. What have you guys been doing during uh, the pandemic? What have you guys been doing with yourselves? Like, how is it? You're in what, Rhode Island? Yeah, Rhode Island, yep. What's it like out there? And, like, what have you guys been up to the last several months? I know things, have, yep. those restrictions have kind of let up a little bit, but. Yeah, we're, I mean, for the, since, like, late June, I've been it's been back to normal, pretty much. Back to the gym and everything. Normal. And I think there are still restrictions, but the gym I go to, shout out to Ultimate Fitness, West Greenwich, Rhode Island badass gym um they're really small anyway so it's like it's never crowded so they it's kind of like you you, we meet these minimums by default anyway which is great um but yeah when we first when quarantine first happened and shut us all down i was fine with not going to the gym because training had been kicking my ass like for a little (laughs) bit anyway so i just took the i took the break i I stayed active as far as doing cardio every day you know walks whatever had some dumbbells so i'd just do like some shoulder pump type stuff some push-ups just to keep active of course but Mm -hmm. um I decided just to take the break and I dedicated my time to just like mass trying to master a new skill, in which case it was trading. So now I trade full time on the stock market, options trading specifically. Wow. And so just learning that, like spending hours and hours and hours and hours practicing and learning just pattern breakouts and everything you need to know for that. And like that was fun. So I didn't miss the gym at all. And I knew like in a few months, like once you've been lifting for a while, you get away from this whole, oh, I can't go to the gym. I'm freaking out. And you start realizing like, I've I've been through injuries. I've been through setbacks. It's like in three years from now, three months away from the gym will just be forgotten about. Like it's a blip. I'll be back in the gym in a few months. Muscle memory kick in, and we're back to normal. So I wasn't sweating not going to the gym. And instead, I dedicated my time just to learning a whole brand new skill that I now still do full time, even while back in the gym. What about your gains? <laughs> yeah, they didn't go anywhere, really. I mean, <laughs> you lost. You go back in the gym, you feel weak. Obviously, everyone does. You know, may, maybe you lose a little bit of that pop to your physique you're not as like full and awesome looking but it's like muscle memory is going to get you back so fast mm-hmm. like it's just i just stayed confident i knew it would come back really fast i didn't sweat it and i think that's what most people should do there's no point in driving yourself insane about it so you know like i said i stayed active in other ways i think that's important don't become a couch potato but um and that did help like you know kept they kept things from not it, it stopped me from going back to like a dad bod you know, but I wasn't worried like if I couldn't still squat 600 or, you know, didn't look quite as full or whatever, because I just knew, you know, give me two months back in the gym, good programming and stuff. It'll all be back to normal. And it was in eight weeks. As soon as we went back in the gym, I jumped on my own lean strength program, which is an eight week program, ran it. And um, and that program is designed perfectly for actually getting you back into the gym, too, because the first two weeks are just big acclimation weeks to get a foundation going for your CNS. So it worked perfect. And then eight weeks later, I hit that 602-pound squat and then a 650 deadlift for an all-time PR. So, you know, it just bounced back fast. Real quick, let's go to that option trading thing, because was that just a totally new thing that you started, like you just just wanted to learn for some reason? Well, I've always been... 
in and out of the stock market Mm -hmm. forever. You know, like back in 2016, I think it was, I would do a little bit of trading with the penny stocks over the counter. I'd have some great luck with it and then some horrible luck because penny stocks are just a whole different breed. The charting's not even quite the same. It's a lot of like volume and level two reading. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never dedicated myself to really learning the skill either. Not that I know what that means, by the way. For for anybody who likes trading. um, So, and so I was always on and off, but I never took time to learn the skill. Here's the thing about trading, right? Not like 90%, something like 90% of traders, especially day traders lose money. Yeah. And this isn't because trading itself is impossible to do. It's because trading the thing I've learned is trading is as intricate of a skill as, you know, going to law school or even certain areas of the medical field. It's, it's very intricate. Um, there's a lot to learn and understand. And even just about your own psychology, when you're trading, learning, learning your own psychology and when red flags come up and you need to step away from the computer and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it takes a long time and a lot of practice. They have uh, simulation trader, um, trading platforms now, like paper trading, to where you're trading the real stock market real time live, but which is simulation money. Oh, so you're really trading. Yeah, you're really trading the real market. So it's very real. Um, you just and and you can pick and choose how big you want your positions to be. But it's just it's simulated money. So you're not actually risking. It's a great way to practice. But what happens is I've learned this, and I've talked to a lot of great. I have a lot of friends who trade full time. So it is possible. But I've learned this for myself too. It's like you. The people, reason people lose money is because it's the only skill that requires a lot of time and practice and learning that anyone can just dive into for free. You know, we can't just walk into a, uh, a courtroom and start being a lawyer. It mm-hmm. wouldn't work. Thank God. We can't just walk into uh, a hospital and start performing surgery. <laughs> you know, thank God. <laughs> so it should be the same. Trading is such a skill where it's like you really shouldn't be able to. It'd be better for people if they weren't able to just access it from you, their phones you or kinda, computers. You kind of can be a lawyer, though. And he could be a doctor. Y'all remember that? You have to pass a bar. <laughs> you guys remember that fake, uh, that black kid? He's like, a, he made his own office. He's like, little, oh my he's God. a teenage doctor. And people believed he was a doctor. You got to find this, Andrew. His, his picture is like this. And he has like a little mini beard. <laughs> but he had a practice for a good few months before they caught on. It's like, wait, this kid isn't a doctor. Damn. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. You, you can't do it for very long. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I guess, same thing with trading, I guess. You can jump on and be a trader, but it's not going to last very long. Right. <laughs> so then for, for somebody like that is interested, should they just like avoid some of those apps? Like I've seen them where like, you you know, like you don't have to invest, you know, thousands yeah. of dollars. You can invest, you know, whatever you got. Yeah. And, uh, avoid that. Avoid okay. that. There's a couple of like, um, chats, like there is one chat, shout out to, um, penny power trading, not a sponsored plug. Um, he is the only one I actually, I do all my own trading technical analysis, but I will go to his page once in a while for uh penny stock trades. Cause he does um, over the counter penny stocks, the riskier trades, but he is amazing. And he's no BS. He doesn't have this big gimmick where you sign up for a thousand bucks. He's like, you just pay like basically like a small gym membership to be on his chat. And he gives you live updates of what stocks he's following as he buys them, as he sells them, all that stuff. Is that the guy? That's the kid. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> It's oh y'all gotta you all gotta watch that YouTube video. Just that's, search that's that shit up. Picture. Wow. He looks so young. <laughs> he is, bro. He's like sixteen. Oh my god. <laughs> oh god. Damn. But so I like I like his, but even with him, it's like you wanna make sure you take your time and educate yourself. It helps to understand what you're looking at, why you're looking at it, you know. But outside of that, um, 
Nah, just like a lot of my own. There's, I, there's another chat, Tactical Traders, that I'm, uh, I have a bunch of friends on there. That they trade. And I like running things by them, too, just comparing notes on a technical analysis level, mm-hmm. things like that. But no, as a, on a whole, stay away from the scam stuff. You don't need, mm-hmm. I don't even like following chats for their calls or anything. Like, I'll hear people will be like, oh, follow this guy. He puts out good calls on what stocks to trade. I don't even like that because it's like, you don't know what their situation is. You don't know how much money they're investing, how how risky it is for them. Um, and sometimes they're wrong. So my biggest advice for anyone trading is just take the time to learn. First, simple things I'd, I recommend learning if you want to get into trading is learn how to first, you can even just YouTube search it, uh, lines of support and resistance, Learn how to chart those, and then pattern breakouts, stock pattern breakouts, so bull flags, bear flags, wedges, you know, and then from there, learn the details about those without going too intricate. Those are like your good, great foundations to start with. And once you have, once you get those down, then you learn about volume to read volume when there is a breakout, um, you know, stop losses, basic stuff like that. You stick to the basics, then the charts end up telling everything. So now I get to, I'm at the point where I don't really like listening to news or anything you pay attention to news just to know what catalyst could be there but you don't act on news you wait till the chart tells you what it's going to do so you just read the charts so just educate yourself on chart reading well and it's real easy for people to go with the popular companies you know it's really yeah, easy yeah. for people to go with tesla and amazon but oh, i think of course i think the main thing is like it's it's your you know it's your money that you're rolling the dice with that yeah. you're playing with and so i think you know Lean towards the stuff that interests you. Lean towards the stuff that you like, that you enjoy, that you feel is going to be fun for you to do. Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> even if you were to lose money, you're like, well, at least it was a company that I believe in. At least it's a company that, you know, rather than I think a lot of times people are trying to roll the dice on these. Uh, <clears throat> they'll hear something and they'll say, oh, I'm going to put all my money into that. Yeah. And yeah. they'll lose like a ton, you know. So. Yeah. That's why I don't like the hearsay. Like the, my best motto is the charts tell all. So that's just the easiest way to wipe out all the noise. You start listening to, you'll hear one opinion. No, like that's one opinion right there. Trade in what you believe in, you know, but suppose you believe in the idea of a company, like a lot of biotech stocks right now sound promising. You might really believe in them and it might be a horrible idea to invest in them, you know, or you might hear a stock like Tesla, which is definitely overweighted for like what it is, but it's strong. It's got momentum. It's, I don't see it going uh, bearish anytime soon um, on, a, on a large scale anyway, you know, but, um, and I'm not telling anybody to invest in it. I'm just, I'm talking here, but, but no matter what you hear, you can just, it's beautiful when you learn how to read charts, you can just go pull up the chart. If you want to do a long-term investment, pull up the five-year chart, the 10-year chart. It's not about your feelings or emotions. It's just about what the numbers say. Right. Yeah. It's, and it, and it makes it so much easier now, you know, pull up the five-year chart. Has it been healthy over the years? If, if it's been steady downward, then probably not a good investment. What's the safest thing to do, do you think? Um, well, as far as stocks in general, I mean, long-term investment's the safest. That's what I do. Yeah. I just, I never sell. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I mean, I think that's great, man. Like, um, especially like good, healthy, again, reading some basics of reading charts, just seeing if there's an upward trend or a downward trend, which is super easy to learn. Um, Looking at that and then mixing it with other things like how's their dividend been, you know, how's their dividend growth been, has it been healthy? And then, you know, just invest and then you just let it go. You don't have to worry about if it goes up and down, just hold it. Ten years from now. uh, If you were to gift a baby 12,000 bucks, they'd be a millionaire by the time they're, it's like 65, so it takes a long time. (laughs) But, you know, like for people that have a little extra money or extra income to give a child, you know, a, a, a stock of, 
even half or quarter that amount of money. Absolutely. You know, is, it, um, yeah. If you invest, kind of a cool thing is going to build, it's going to build its own money on its own without doing anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you invested a few thousand bucks in AT&T way back. You'd, you know, AT&T is a very slow grower. It's um, very sideways, but it's kind of safe. And the dividends have been consistent too. So it's like you'd have a little bit of extra money now and you'd have monthly check or not, excuse me, quarterly checks coming in, you know? So it's, yeah, exactly. So then, because I don't know anything about stocks, so it's like the whole idea is just, like you guys said, you just invest and you just leave it there for essentially ever? Like, how does... Yeah, ideally. Yeah. Yep. And, and then you'll have, you'll have stocks that, you know, maybe last five, ten years and then kind of go into decline. Mm-hmm. But yeah, especially, and then there's ETFs as well, which is like basically basket, like a basket full of stocks, mm-hmm. you know, so you can invest oh, okay. in those ETFs like VU, V-O-O. Um, there's a bunch of different versions of that that, that are very safe because, like, the stock market in general kind of always has more money. Exactly, and it's kind of diversity within that one stock. So it's like diversifying because it's it'll it'll track a bunch of stocks all in once, like spy tracks the S and P five hundred. So it's like you're getting the diversity of the the things that make up the S and P five hundred. You know, so it's and, and of course, you know, when everything goes down, you know, tides raise and sink all ships. Mm-hmm. So that happens. But yeah, in general, like if you can get some good solid buys in ones that have been established. Ones that have been healthy and there's no real reason for them not to be healthy in another 10 years mm-hmm. um, and the charts have been all healthy consistently, then yeah, ideally you just invest and you just kind of forget about them. So then what's the point if you're not going to see anything out of it, if you're just never going to? Well, because, um, and this, this is just long-term investing. I do mm-hmm. that and I do day trading, so I'll get profits like each day. Okay. But um, for the long-term stuff, it's more like retirement and it, and it compounds and grows over time. So like if you had invested... God, I don't even know what the math would be, but if you had invested a, you know, ten thousand dollars five years ago, you'd be up a whole lot of money right now. You know, who knows? Depending on what you invested, in, you could be mm-hmm. up fifty thousand bucks right now. Imagine more. if you did that in Tesla, right? Oh yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ! So like, had you invested in Tesla back uh, just in February, it was three hundred and something bucks, and then yeah, I got, um, I got some Tesla stock just a before, while back. So. You're right, just before the split that happened, mm-hmm. it was up to like two thousand plus. It was yeah. You know, so now, of course, that's like what we call a meme stock because uh-huh. it's almost like a meme of itself now. <laughs> right. So not every stock's going to be like that. But but that's the idea, man. It's like it's mm-hmm. like a glorified savings that grows over time. So like in theory, if you invest 10,000 bucks when you're 20, in theory, depending on what you invested in, you know, it could be six figures by the time you're like ready to re- like retire. You know, if anyone's looking actually for some pretty, I guess, uh, uh, entry level, but really basic advice on this stuff. There's this guy named Graham Stefan on YouTube. I don't know if either of you guys have heard of him. I think I remember that name. I'm horrible with names. I have to see faces. Man, his content is gold for people who can't, like, who aren't day trading. Yep, it's, it's like, yep. it's just like concepts on investing that you need to under t- understand, like 18, 19, 20. Yes. And, and all that type of stuff. I, I and think, I, think I know yeah. what you're talking about. I think, because I've seen tons of videos. I think I, I've stumbled upon his channel a few times. Cold. I'm just horrible with uh, <laughs> yeah. names. Also, another great channel, guys, for anyone who's just getting into trading. Okay. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I thought it was him. Yeah. He is good. He's and, really good. And another great channel is uh, Zip Trader. Ooh. If you're brand new to trading, he's great with covering the basics, just learning the indicators, SMA lines. Um, just the, he's great for basics. Let's add another one in there. Meet Kevin. Meet Kevin. I don't know if I've seen that one. Okay. Like, like M E A, like M E E. Okay, I think. Oh, yeah, Meet I thought Kevin. Thought he was a carnivore. How do we get to this? Talk? <laughs> it's funny. Meet <laughs> Kevin. He's also another really yeah that guy. Okay. He makes like five videos a day, but like wow. he 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 goes through like like he like twenty eight years old owns a bunch of properties, but again 
a lot of content that can get you understanding the stuff if you can't do it's right trading. it's interesting it's uh you know easy and these people you know these people know this stuff like yeah. the way that we share fitness you know they they've been living it for a long time and they know they know what works well so yeah it's great to learn about it yeah i'm just pulling everything up for like my own research later so i can look back at this <laughs> well, episode also uh andrew or Ansema, like if either one of you guys are interested my buddy matt uh he's he's awesome with this stuff he, he's really like he's very he's pretty conservative um but he'll tell you like what works and mm-hmm. he'll, he'll explain everything like i had him explain a lot of stuff to me because i didn't know yep i'm like dude i don't know anything and then yeah. he would mention something i'm like i don't know what that is <laughs> and he would say something else i'm like i don't know what that is you know and he went through everything but he's the guy who does our 401k okay, yeah, yeah yeah oh one one nice. one more channel to check out for charting guys and this one helped me a lot is um wise trade with a y it's w Y S E trade. And it's actually, I believe off the top of my head, I think it's a lot of actually um, like Forex content, but the charting's all the same. And he, they just did videos. It's very simple. Their videos are very simple. It's not a huge channel, um, but their videos on like just support lines and trading patterns are so well broken down. So I remember back when I was first learning about that, his videos helped it really click a lot. So check that out. And I can't stress enough guys, anyone who's into trading, just learn the charting. Don't listen to people. You know, you can ask questions and take in, you know, bits and pieces, but uh, stick to your own research. Learn the charting. I can't stress it enough. Learn the charting, and then you'll be able to make your own decisions, and then trust your own decisions, too, because I've seen traders that are better than me, who've been doing it longer than me, that I've gotten a lot of advice from over the years. But as I got trading... And they'd, they'd make mostly great trades anyway, but I'd see them, you know, we'd be in a chat and I'd see them jump into this trade or that trade and I'd be looking at it and I'm like, I'm not seeing what you're jumping into. This looks like it's going to go the other way to me. And I wouldn't say anything because they're more advanced than me, but I decided not to jump in. And lo and behold, I ended up being right a couple of times, you know, but it's just like, it's just a matter of learning the charts. Just read the charts and they tell everything. Cool. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do you do from a business perspective? I know you do a lot of programming for people and stuff, and you yeah. mentioned your eight-week program that you have. Like, What else do you do kind of in the fitness community that's uh, generating some revenue for you that's working well? Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the website's awesome right now. My site, nickwrightbodybuilding.com. That's where I have the programs on. So, uh, yeah, the Lean Strength program, which has been amazing. And then uh, I have like a deadlift peaking program, um, a bench press ebook, just cool things like that. And um, yeah, that's been that's been on fire. And then um, throw up some fun clothing. I, I don't do clothing lines anymore, but just fun things like we had the four hundred pound bench club shirt. And, nice, you know, people. I got those just as kind of just something fun. And um, th- people ate those up, which is cool. This three hundred pound club shirt. So yeah, just fun stuff like that. So that does really well. And then I've been trying to dedicate YouTube to just really informative stuff nowadays, which I love with strength training, strength training specifically, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so still cruising on that. And then um, still working with the same sponsors. And but outside of that, it's been actually trying to dedicate most of my time into the trading and just get that moving as big as I can. Since you're so knowledgeable and, so, like, and you've been content creating for such a long time, do you imagine in a few years that you'll be making content around trading? Because like, you talk about it yeah. pretty knowledgeably at this point, but do you think you'd do that? Thank you. Yeah, I've thought of that. Not not now. I, I'd want to do it. I'd want to make sure I was really well advanced in trading. Oh, yeah. You know, like be able to show like a crazy... Did you, like, did you do that with fitness? I didn't deal with fitness, but I feel you have like videos from a long time ago. I do, right? yeah, I definitely didn't deal with fitness, but I, I feel like money is a little bit more risky there. <laughs> so, and plus, right. plus, also the other reason though is I've done everything publicly all my life so much. It's nice to have something that's not public. Mm. 
You know, and it's kind of nice to have true. something just for yourself for once. And also, it's like I will share stuff on Instagram sometimes just about like I'll show like pattern breakouts that I traded or I'm about to trade or something like that just for fun. And that's cool because I'll get really cool people who are also traders, you know, and become friends with them that way. But then it's like you get bombarded with all of these questions like just about stocks and trading and stuff which i understand it's the same thing that happens with fitness but then it just reminded me i was like yeah i don't know if i want to make this thing a big public thing full-time like i did with fitness yeah so you have a lot of energy and we get asked this question all the time like how do you stay motivated so how does nick Wright stay motivated a lot of meth methamphetamines (laughs) awesome man (laughs) share some with the group please oh man uh just like setting goals based around things I love. That's what it is. Like I've been asked here and there, like why you don't do this or that, like things that are seeming like would be easy for me to get into from a business standpoint. And whatever ends up, whatever it is, it's usually because I don't want to do it. So for me, it's like, like I love strength training. Unfortunately, strength is not the most popular topic on YouTube. It doesn't generate viral views, but I love it. So I've done, I've been able to do pretty well at it, and I've been able to help a lot of people, give a lot of free, really good information now, and now a little more specified information. You know, but that that's fulfilling when you can do that. When there's something you genuinely love. Like when I get people DMing me, like showing me PRs they have for my program, or like asking me questions, like I'm excited to like give them intricate answers and stuff like that. I'm not just like a quick little two sentence back. Like I'll even voice text uh, through DMs some people time uh, if they're asking questions about my program and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've given it to some even some bigger YouTubers. And I just told them, I was like, Hey, you don't, don't even mention me. You're like, if it works and you want to cool, like don't, I'm not even, I'm giving this to you. Cause you're, I see that you keep mentioning, you want to get on a better program here, experience the wizardry. <laughs> and like, but that feels like that's so fun to me to like really get knowledgeable and skillful in something like this. And then be able to do it myself, mm-hmm. getting stronger and stronger. And then like to share it. So like something like that, man, you can see as I'm talking about it, I'm like going on and on, but something like that, it's like, that's exciting. So when you have things that you're excited about that are, a process of progression. I don't know. It's just, it's invigorating. Yeah. For you then, because like we just talked about this with the stocks and stuff, but obviously you're someone who's big on just self-educating yourself on things. That's what you did. Yeah, with fitness. That's what you did with like your strength training programming and the mm-hmm. stocks. So where did you go for your education on like, you know, like programming and stuff? Because a lot of people think you got to get a cert, you got to mm-hmm. do this, but you don't have to. No, nah, certifications are usually a waste of time. I remember taking like the ISSA certification way back in like 2012, and it was a joke. It's like you get a book, and then you just take this test, and you're like, answers, okay. <laughs> it was a joke. Um, no, just honestly, the internet is amazing. Mm-hmm. You can learn a lot on the internet. So with programming, I did have an advantage. Um, it was a combination. I've worked with many um, coaches and many different people who have given me their programs and I've been able to ask questions from different like elite lifters that not everyone would have access to. And then most of all, I was coached for three years by a three-time world champion, Brett Gibbs. Ooh. Yeah. And he is an amazing coach. His eye for the small technicals. I mean, he was finally catching things that no other coach had worked with caught mm-hmm. small little things in the unracking of a squat, things that people overlook and things that I now think I have a good eye for. But um, so that was an advantage, but you don't need to be coached by someone great. To, that helped me fast track it, of course. But it's like you could be coached by someone great and just blindly do what they say and not question why. And it's like you didn't really learn anything. You yeah. just did it, and you got better because they did it. Mm-hmm. But with him, I would always try to learn why. I'd ask him why, get his reasoning behind everything. And then on my own time, I'd also study everything. Just try to study biomechanics. Try to like just watch video after video on programming, the science behind programming. Understand, like, and try out different ones. I've tried conjugate, learning uh, linear periodization, nonlinear periodization, just learning all the boring stuff over time and then putting it into practice. 
I don't know. It's just you, anyone can do it. You just got to want to learn it and you got to take the time to learn it. It takes time. Yeah. One of the cool things about people that obtain something like they, they get really fit or they get really strong or even if they make a lot of money, they're not afraid to talk about it. Like they kind of want to talk about yeah. it. So when you ask somebody a question, normally they're kind of pumped. They're kind of excited. Right. Like, okay, yeah, I'd have some of the answers to some of this stuff. Right. Definitely. I love it, man. Like I've, I've helped out. Like I actually don't take on clients right now. I've thought about doing it, but I recognize that it is a full-time responsibility and I'd never want to leave anyone hanging. So I haven't committed to that yet, but still like I, I do train people I'm tight with. And like we got, um, someone I'm training just started training, um, nine weeks ago and he had a 275 max bench. He was a bigger guy. Um, and in nine weeks of programming, I just programmed him each week. I made a new program for him based on how the last week went very customized. And in nine weeks, we got out to a 315 bench Ooh. and now we're going to scale it back, really tweak technique. And he wants to, you know, chase that 400 goal. Yeah. So, and then like we had another one, um, shout out to my friend, John Almonte who ran my lean strength program. And, um, you know, I'd be there just to give him little tweaks. Anything I, I saw, just like head positioning on a squat, fix that if needed. He's mm-hmm. pretty good already. But he hit a 40-pound PR on squat um, on week eight of my program. He His big goal, he's a lighter guy, he's 170 pounds. His big goal was the big four-plate squat, 405. Yeah. And his max when we started eight weeks prior was 365. So on week eight, on test day, I knew 385 was definitely there. He smoked that like a second attempt. So we threw on 405 and he smoked it beautifully. So, but like, that's like the best feeling. And then one last story is we had, this is where I like, I like Brett Gibbs for this with the technical thing. We, there's one kid who came into our gym who I had never trained. He was a younger kid again, uh, a leaner, lighter weight kid. Um, and he squatted a PR 400 pounds. I wasn't there for it, but I saw the video. My, um, Josh Lynch, the owner of ultimate fitness sent me it and he squatted 400 pounds. And it was an absolute death grinder. RPE 10. And I mean, he barely made it by the skin of his teeth. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I was analyzing it and everyone was like, man, he barely had that. But I was looking at it. His low bar technique was perfect. His unrack, his walkout was great. And I was like, but I was looking at the small details. And one, one, one obvious one was he wasn't bracing optimally. So that's an obvious one. But another one I noticed that is as he would, he would start the rep kind of looking down a little bit, like a neutral neck. And then midway down into the hole, his head would come up and be looking straight across. And then it'd be that way as he came out of the hole. And I noticed that's kind of where his body would suddenly lock into like a stronger position. Yeah. So we just had to make little changes. We worked on his bracing, of course. And then also I had him when he walked it out to take a second. And as he inhaled, cock his head back into his neck. And get that that head positioning from the very start before he began the rep, and then a week later, we just with that tweak, we got him to hit a cleaner four twenty. Mm-hmm. So we added twenty pounds to his squat, and he hit it cleaner than four hundred just by making a, like two small little technical adjustments. Yeah. So to what you were saying, Mark, when like when you're able to like share that with people, mm-hmm. and it's something you love, it's not right. like a chore. I love strength training for myself. There's no better feeling. What do you think is the biggest mistake people are making? You know, since you're able to help these people turn around so quickly. Uh, what do you see as being like one of the major problems when it comes to strength training? Lack of programming. Definitely lack of programming. Either not following the program at all. If you're walking into the gym and your goal is strength and you're kind of just like, what do I feel like doing today? Or how much weight do I feel like doing today? Big mistake. You're not going to go anywhere with that. If you benched or squatted, you did some sort of a lift and you hit you know, pretty good max one week and like the next week you just it felt like garbage. You could, couldn't even get like half of it. That's a great sign that you're not programming, you know, or they're on a program, say, you know, a basic one, like a, when there's five through one or something like that, but they're kind of being loose with the numbers they do. They might 
go a little bit heavier than what they're supposed to one day because it feels fine that day. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a problem right there. And then the biggest mistake I see of all, the biggest, biggest mistake is going too heavy too soon, trying to max out grinding reps and even failing reps middle of a program when you shouldn't even be close to a max yet. Those are the biggest, biggest mistakes I make. Uh, I see made in, in people who are programming. And the analogy I, I say is programming is like a marathon. Strength training is like a marathon. You got to pace yourself and you got to build it up slowly. And the best analogy for this is imagine you're running a 15 mile race, right? And on the final 15th mile, the very last mile, I'm giving the cash prize to whoever can sprint that last mile in the shortest amount of time. Doesn't matter what the other 14 miles were. It doesn't matter how, what your time was for all 15 miles. Just that last 15th mile, whoever can sprint it the fastest gets the cash prize. What would you do? You'd pace yourself like crazy those first 14 miles. The first few miles, you take it really easy, light, easy jog. Maybe midway in, you speed it up just a little bit to get the body warmer and ready to sprint. But you definitely would not be sprinting on mile five or mile six. You'd be saving it for that 15th mile. In strength training, whether you're doing a meet or you're just maxing out the gym, that max out day, that's your 15th mile. So if you go and max out or you near max out before that day, that's like sprinting before the 15th mile and then having to sprint again. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, you're just analogy. shot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, can't, you can't recover. Um, I, I see it being a huge problem with people yeah, training too heavy, mm-hmm. too heavy, too often. Um, and then I would even say, like, with bodybuilders, like, most people that even just kind of are recreational bodybuilders, just people going in, doing five, you know, four or three sets of ten, things like that, and doing various exercises yep. and not really, not maybe having such a set schedule. Maybe they have a uh, split, you right, know, they right. do chest and back this day and so forth. Um, but I think that those people they have a better opportunity to get stronger because the weights are usually lighter yep, yep. because the, uh, because they have more repetitions in there. Right. And so I think that when you're trying to strength train, you're like, I just want to get stronger. Mm-hmm. And so you're, fo- you're focused so hard in on the strength part of it that you're not really working on, you're just like constantly testing your strength. There's really not a lot of like building of strength. Whereas if you're a bodybuilder and you're like, oh, I'm going to see what I can handle for, a set of eight on squats right. this week. And then maybe next week you push the leg press and maybe next week you push the hack squat. And then maybe you get back to the regular squat and yep. so on. And you're really mixing it up. You're hitting things from a lot of different angles. But if you look at why they might get stronger and they're not the strongest athletes in the world, but sometimes they can be yeah, as they switch yeah. over to doing uh, some, you know, central nervous system work, some powerlifting work, they can usually turn it on pretty good. But I think one of the reasons for that is just that they're working with, uh, weights that are in a range that they can uh, lift them properly every single time. Right, right, yep. And then to take that even a step further, um, most bodybuilders can probably attest to this. As you get closer to a competition, you get weaker and weaker, mm-hmm. especially in the pressing movements. Those go the first. And um, so you start what, shaking all over yeah, the place. Yeah. <laughs> so what I wanted to do in 2018, I was doing a cut, and I just come from competing strictly powerlifting. So I wanted to make a bodybuilding program for myself because it was a bodybuilding-related cut. But also keep my strength in there. I was like insistent on not losing strength this time. And I knew how to program now. So I was like, I've never tried this, but let me try programming even my bodybuilding training. So I did that. And that's actually how I developed the lean strength program that I still use now. That's the same program I used two years later to hit the 602 pound squat in the 650 deadlift. Even when I was in my heavy, like body weight, 195. So it works in and out of a cut. But the programming, man, it was magic. It was for the first time ever, I was able to hit 
new pound for pound PRs. As you lo- lose body weight, you're obviously just going to be overall weaker. It's physics. You can't really fight it. But like, you know, I, I went from one night, I went from, I started the cut at like 206, you know, and I hit a 405 bench at like 198, pretty clean. And then I cut down to 180 during this cut when I hit about 182. I retook 405. And it was ugly, of course, but I still got it, which would have been impossible that deep into a cut prior. And then I deadlifted 600 pounds again in the 170s. At the time, my deadlift max was only 610 when I was heavy. So it was just 10 pounds shy of my max, but now 178 pounds. So, But it was all through programming. And then I also programmed like the, the bodybuilding stuff that you don't usually think about with programming, like the lateral raises. Cause even that, that makes a difference. You know, if you, if you go hard on the lateral raises, the curls, it feels easy, but that can suddenly, it's like, okay, now my squat feels like it's taking a hit. Cause especially <laughs> when you're on low calories, that adds up. So, yeah. um, my only point here is just to say even bodybuilders could see a huge benefit from just nailing down some actual programming. Yeah. What happens when you're using twenties, but you could use 25s, right? It's probably just, it's probably just not the most optimal. That's all right. Yep. What you're saying right now is just like it, it. It's one of the biggest things for people, even if they don't follow a strict program. Like we were just talking about this a few weeks ago on the podcast. Just get a notebook and write down what you did this week. Yeah. Okay. Write down the weights you used. And then next week, try to do a little bit more, maybe just a little bit more. Yeah. I, I, I heard you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, and even and even uh, like, let's say you go to do something like a lat pull down and yep. you do. Uh, you know, you did sets of 12 with 120 pounds last week and you go to grab, you know, the same weight and it feels kind of heavy. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, maybe you can just try to do 15 reps on the last set or try to do 13 reps for all three sets. Or yeah. Something. You know, you just try to get a little extra somewhere like because you're not always going to feel like it, not always going to want to do it. And sometimes you're just not going to have the ability to do it. Yeah. But like we were sure. doing with uh, some back movements yesterday. We did a bunch of them very, very strict, and we mm-hmm. did a couple of them that weren't super strict. Yeah. You know, sometimes you got to have a little bit of uh, body English in there. I think especially when it comes to the back exercises, because you really are trying to drive the elbow past the midline of the body as much as you can. And sometimes uh, just a little extra movement allows you to do that. And I think people think that that's cheating and you can't build muscle that way, but you can build, there's so many different ways of building muscle. I agree with you completely. I think if you can, like we said, if you control that, quote unquote cheap rep you know you're not just heaving it up and letting it fall down you're still contracting and you're still resisting on the way back down even if it's not like a slow negative um then yeah that's just some overload right there you're overloading the muscle which is a beautiful thing and look at the uh, the movement that we did at the end of the workout with the dumbbells we were using like 25 pound dumbbells yep. and that was really hard and that was much uh it was like much more strict rather yeah. than when we were doing the t-bar row you get a little a little movement in there and i think you did with uh big j Oh God! He was. Yeah. You were like, "Are we doing high reps? Or are we doing heavy weight?" He's like, "Both." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Big J. <laughs> yeah, and I think he did what sets of twenty or something, right? Yeah, and you just kind of had to eventually, yeah, use <laughs> use throw around your body a little bit. Yeah, and you'd make involuntary noises that you just didn't want to. I was doing that. I didn't have a choice. It was that's, just that's like tough. Big J for you. Yeah, I love him. I haven't seen him in so long. Yeah, but I, I want to mention that's like super key because like especially if you don't if you don't know what you're going to be doing each day in the gym uh, there are going to be days where you feel like crap but if you actually have like a t- like a template of what you were supposed to do right. sometimes you could push through it be- even though you don't yes. you didn't expect that you could and those are the sessions that you can make a lot of progress in definitely definitely true. that's a fantastic point there's so much psychology behind just having something laid out for you mm-hmm. like like you said there's going to be days where you're just out of it you feel like garbage and like if you're just kind of going off the whim you might decide two sets is enough and then you're done but if you have something laid out, it's like, well, I 
have to do this. What am I gonna, I'm not a baby. I just got to get it done. It sucks, but here we go. And then that psychology also plays in big when it comes time to max out. Because, you know, like I said, my John, who hit the 40-pound PR, 40 pounds more than he's ever squatted in his life, that's intimidating. That's There's a lot of adrenaline and nerves there. And you can see he was nervous like we all get for a big PR like that. It's, it's intimidating. But his biggest, one of his biggest things, I would keep reminding him, but he would keep saying it himself, is... Just trust the programming because if you know, if you've worked up to this accordingly and you've been hitting heavier and heavier weight leading up to it, you know, by this point, you've hit 90% of your max, at least three different sessions, 95% the week prior, um, then you're ready to go. It's like you hit all those and they kept getting easier and easier. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason this one shouldn't be easier. So it's like you get to that point. You can just trust the programming when you start freaking out. Just trust the program. If you don't have that structure programming. That's a gamble. You have nothing to trust. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, a lot of times we get, we get so caught up in like, you know, you're, you're in the middle of a workout and you just want to like do more weight. But if you have a set program or you have something set, you can say, I could save that for next week or or, or down the road, you know, and you don't need to just kill yourself. But a lot of this just comes down to one simple thing and it's just, uh, getting acclimated. Mm-hmm. To, to what you're about to do, yes. you know, like I, yes. I, I've been uh, spending some time in Tahoe lately and the air is very thin. We're uh, at like 8000 feet and you get acclimated to it. You get used to it. You actually the human body is so amazing. It actually adapts while I'm sure it would matter, like the shape that you're in. But even like the first five minutes of the walk is pretty much straight uphill. And you're like, whoa, like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it's going to look like when we actually start hiking. But once you go over that first hill and then you come down a little bit, you're good to go because right. your your lungs are opened up. You already you kind of acclimated to it just within that one workout, yeah, just yeah, within yeah. that one moment. And so and then obviously, the more time you spend out there, the more the body gets acclimated to it. But with strength training, there's so many different ways to get acclimated to the weights. You can you can spread fatigue and you can I believe Brett Gibbs was a huge fan of this where, you know, you might squat it like you know, 70% on like Monday. And then on like a Wednesday, you might squat at uh, 80%. Yep. And then, uh, you know, on Friday, you might squat at like 90%. And then it might start back over yeah. and you start fresh with like more reps and more sets because the intensity is lower mm-hmm. and you spread fatigue. And then the next thing you know, you do that for six weeks and your legs are twice the size they were when you started the program. Yeah, yeah 100%. And you're, and you're just gaining a lot of strength, but maybe you're not even really... Maybe the ninety percent example is a little high, but like we know what you mean. You're not really touching a lot of real, real heavy weights. Like right. you could actually run a program where you go sixty, seventy, eighty, probably would be more accurate or something like that. Yeah, eight, eighty-five. Right, and you're not getting into like even ninety percent. I think mm-hmm. you were mentioning for some of your for your six fifty deadlift. I think you said the most that you deadlift was like six fifteen or something. Yeah, ninety-five percent uh, at the time of my max, which was at the time six forty. And it was 95% was the heaviest, but that was only one week. So out of all eight weeks, week seven, we went up to 90. And that's that was very specific to that program. And I want to throw it there, too, because it also might be specific to the deadlift for you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And there may be situations where you don't even want to go that heavy mm. or go that heavy that soon before you max out. It depends on the programming. Um, but yeah, yeah. But still a good example of the heaviest I went before a 650 pound deadlift was 615. Which is most people would think, well, wouldn't you at least want to try like 625, maybe 630, see if 640 moves easy again? But no, you don't want to go near that weight. So 615, that was just one week. And then before that, the heaviest I went was no more than 585, 595. You know, I, I don't, I, maybe I touched 600 once. Um, yeah, stay conservative. And actually, this, I can't stress this enough. 
the biggest advice I find myself giving to lifters, especially when they run my program, first two weeks of my program are very light and easy and almost kind of boring. Um, just because it's so light, it's, it's designed to be perfect acclimation. It sets the foundation to start priming your central nervous system. You don't system. want any bad experiences. You don't want them to get hurt. Yep. And so you I, want to get used to the exercises. Exactly. So I always tell them, I'm like, Stay on the program. Leave the gym feeling bored. Leave the gym feeling like you have more in the tank. You should feel like Superman at the end of this workout and not be gassed out. That's what I want. And it's so counterintuitive. You think you got to feel like you just killed yourself at the end of each workout. I'm like, that'll come when week four comes around. It starts getting really fun. And you're going to wish you followed these first weeks. So, but that's, that's it. Don't push yourself and don't worry about maxing out and grinding. Put in the work. Leave some in the tank. That's the best way to go about it. Back when you, what, what age did you start lifting? Started lifting at uh, 14, but started powerlifting at like 23 or 24. Okay. Now, uh, how old are you now? 29. Okay, you're 29. Now, being a lifter now versus lifting then, do you are there any struggles you feel that younger lifters have now that you didn't have when you were lifting? Struggles? No, if anything, I think younger lifters now have a huge advantage with all the, the information that's out on the internet and mm-hmm. readily available. Like... And I'm not complaining. It, it, it all is what it is. But like, I think back now, if I was 14, but I had a channel like mine to go and watch, yeah. breaking down how to do the deadlift like the right way and really covering the small details that mm-hmm. no one likes to cover, you know, or like a Johnny Candido's program or like an Alan Thrall. It, oh, um, yeah. If I had all that stuff, all this information, Mark Bell's podcast, all the videos Mark Bell does, if I had had that back at 14, I feel like my numbers would have skyrocketed so much sooner mm-hmm. than they did. Instead, you know, I was doing a bro split, no real rhyme or reason, wasting like five years of training like most teens did back then. So I feel like young lifters have a huge advantage now just with how much information. And what's interesting, actually, is my uncle was a bodybuilder, not competitive, but he looked amazing. Yeah. And I ran into him just the other week and we we're chatting and he's, he told me it's pretty impressive how I've been able to do all this weight wise. I've surpassed him. Without getting really seriously injured, like I'm still good to go. Knock on wood. Um, but I just told him, I was like, because he had had some pretty good injuries in his day. But I just told him, it's like, I had the advantage of being in an era where there's so much information on mobility now. There's videos you've done, Mark, with mm-hmm. Kelly Starrett. Yeah. You know, like, w- he didn't have that back then. Mm-hmm. So now I know, like, if I'm feeling tightness somewhere, I know what it might be. We have that information. And I think that might be why you're seeing so many young powerlifters just come out of the woodworks with phenomenal numbers now. More young kids are getting exposed to good information. Yeah. yeah I've been lifting for 31 years, you know, um, and I was lucky to learn from the people I learned, learned from, you know, my first power thing coach was, um, he was, he was pretty smart in terms of like how you programmed, especially for back then. I mean, it was just, it was very straight up progressive overload, but he always stressed like, Hey, look, man, you know, you need to do the assistance work to kind of hold the muscles together and all this kind of stuff. But, um, having Louis Simmons and Dave Tate, seeing both of those guys not really be able to do a lot of the stuff that they really loved and enjoyed. Mm -hmm. I was always like, well, what's that about? Right. What is that side of it? And Louie was like, hey, you got to drag the sled. You got to. And his point wasn't that you have to necessarily drag the sled. His point was that you have to be in shape. Like mm. you can't like you can get big and fat. You can get his, you know, you can kind of let things go a little bit because having more size on you can be productive right. and it can help. 
but he's also like he would warn everybody and you wouldn't think that would happen at west side because there were so many huge guys there lifting such crazy weights but right. he was the first guy to warn everybody like you you keep doing what you're doing and you're not going to be able to you're going to work yourself right out of the you know but yeah, out of lifting yeah. all together and so uh, i was lucky to have kind of seen that firsthand and kind of like wonder like why can't Dave do like a shoulder press? Why can't he do yeah. this? Why can't he do that? And he then he would tell me like, dude, like I, I just, I started, you know, getting rid of some movements when they started to hurt. And the next thing you know, I couldn't do them at all anymore. Like he, then he would try to come back and do them with lighter weight. Right. And that didn't work. Right. And the body's inflamed and they don't take care of themselves from a food perspective. They don't get enough sleep. Just really just, just obsessed with lifting the weight. Yes. And that was all, that was all there was to it. And they didn't really, have any other precautions, but having them go through that kind of for me, yep, yep. you know, allowed me to still be able to do all the things that I love to do. How long did you train at Westside? Uh, just about a year. That's so cool. You yeah. Had experience in. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. And to kind of see like, you know, the, like Louie kind of just, he really, uh, it was just really a, har- a real harsh environment. And right. So it's understandable how those guys got sucked into that because, It'd be like if your jujitsu instructor was like, I don't really care if you guys, you know, go go out at full speed. And I don't really care if you guys, you know, and I'm sure there's probably schools that are like that. There are, you know, you go after the guy's leg, go after yeah. the guy's knee, you know, and and you could see how it can create an environment to where maybe perhaps people would be better because they're more vicious or whatever. And in competition, maybe they Cobra Kai it or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, at the same time, it's, it's not great for longevity yep. and it doesn't make any sense. And what we was, saw that kind of stuff at Westside a lot. So yeah. What was that? What was it like? Like, what was the environment and like the vibe like in Westside when you walked in? Like, was it like, did you walk in looking like everyone was ready to fight you? Like it was that kind of, cause the documentary made it seem like everyone was intense. They get in physical fights during training. It, it looks that way, but it's not. You no. know, um, you get like regular, what's up, man? Squat today? Yeah. I mean, the guys are covered in tattoos or some guys with tattoos on their necks and stuff. And right. so, yeah, you're just like, whoa, like, I don't know what I'm walking into here. <laughs> um, and there's always like some crazy music blasting, whether it's like gangster rap yeah, or yeah, yeah. some crazy like metal or whatever. Yeah. Um, I like that. I keep that going yeah. in my gym. <laughs> the, the thing that was always hard at Westside was to walk to the back of the gym because in the front of the gym, there was just like dumbbells and some benches and stuff and like a lap pull down machine and. Uh, there was some reverse hypers and stuff, but as you walked further and further down, that's where you got to the serious shit. That's where the right. the racks were, and that's where the monolift was. And like a lot of the people that would come in there, you would see people like people that were really nervous. They wouldn't be inside the building at all. Really, <laughs> they would be that by the roller door, and they'd just stand there. And Louis would never. Louis was actually he's really nice. Have you ever had a chance to meet him? Before? Never. Never. He's, he's super nice. Like he's very very kind, but. If he saw people, he didn't care where they came from. If he saw people outside, he wouldn't talk to them. Right. They had to come in. They had to just have enough courage to step in. And are you talking about spectators? Yeah. Well, he didn't. So he (laughs) he didn't he didn't like for people to watch. He wanted people to participate. Right. So that was the other thing. If you walked in, if you just walked in with your girlfriend, he would make her do a bunch of stuff. Like he'd make her do a bunch of exercises. He would show you stuff and he'd say, hey, you got to try. And she might say, oh, my back hurts. And he would say, hey, try these exercises or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's going to like. But he's super nice. He's super kind. That's cool. Um, it, another interesting thing was when you asked him about somebody, you would say, hey, like, what about this strength coach? What about, I heard this guy is really good. And he'll go, he sat right there. Huh. 
Wow. I'm like, oh, you know, do you know uh, Charles Poliquin or you know this guy or that guy? He goes, yeah, he sat right there. That's cool. Meaning he came yeah. into this gym and he didn't do fucking shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> he didn't even lift with anybody yeah. because he was too embarrassed that he wasn't strong enough. You wow. Know? That's cool. Though. I thought it was cool. Man. Yeah. He's like, he sat right there, but he didn't say anything bad about the right, guy. Right, right, right. But you're say, like, oh, yeah, okay. You got it. Yeah. You're like, well, how is he? He's like, he sat right there. Man, that's cool. <laughs> he just stuck stuck to that. I love, dude. I love that whole West Side. Everything about it, I love it. Like I've I've had this. I've talked about this before. Um, like you'll get a mixed review on Louis Simmons. Obviously, you get some people that worship him, think he's the grandmaster of lifting, which he is in many ways. You get some people nowadays that think that you know his his style is antiquated and it's not really relevant to like modern raw training. You know, you get all these different. Right. You get some people that think that the old insane intensity of everything was the most badass thing and that part of thing isn't what it used to be and you'll get some newer guys that'll look at that and be like that was absolutely retarded why they like right. you get a mixed butt what is just so cool is regardless of whether you love him and think he's awesome or don't like him and think it's ridiculous you know his name and it's so unique in a world where everyone lives for the weekends and is so bored with their life um it's so unique to see someone who is just so passionately obsessively driven towards something like that to where they created something that is now a household name, whether you hate it or love it. Right. Like I love that. So when I, I've watched that West side versus the world documentary three different times now, I just love it, man. Even though some of those guys seem out there to me, even though some of it doesn't apply to my own life, it's just so cool to see in a world where everyone's bored and lives for the weekends. Someone, especially like Louie being so blindly passionate about something. They, they have a reason to wake up every single day. But that, that's that's great because I think that's kind of rare these days. They're Plus, there's somebody who said that greatness usually requires yeah. an unhealthy, oh yeah, unbalanced. Yeah, it's never going to make any sense. Right, anything that's great doesn't normally make any sense. Um, you know, Louis was, Louis was uh, like I, I just need to point out the fact that he was just he's very nice. You know, I know yeah. I said it already, but yep. like people uh, people may say different things about him, but like if we if we if we were hanging out with him right now, he would be like, hey, let's go to lunch. And he'd buy everybody lunch. Yeah. And he would sit there and he'd talk to you forever. And he'd say, how'd you get your shoulders be so big? And he'd <laughs> ask you questions about your deadlift. Like he'd say, why aren't you deadlifting more weight? You should be pulling 750. You know? Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but then I'll give you like a bunch of advice and stuff. But he's, he, he's, um, I, he he did want his gym to be the best, right. and I think that sometimes there was some sacrifice there where uh, he may have said certain things, or the guys might have done certain things where um, it just seemed Looney Tune. But mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I remember one one case where Brandon Lilly uh was complaining about his peck bothering him during a training session and uh Louis like oh it's your turn and they put like 500 pounds on the bar <laughs> and Brandon's like no nah, I think I'm out and uh Louis said what's wrong and he said I he goes I don't know my peck you know my peck feels weird and Louis like well we don't save pecs around here oh yeah I remember hearing that I remember <laughs> and, hearing that quote and everybody was like what does that mean we'll save pecs around here but Brandon he he did the set and he was fine like luckily he <laughs> luckily he didn't he didn't get hurt but i think i think that people think that he said that so that the guy would get like injured and he would get him out of the gym mm -hmm. that's not really why he said it he just said it to kind of test his mentality right you know like how like how far are you willing to kind of take this mm -hmm. and he didn't mean that you had to do it and that's just like brandon could have been like all right well i'm out like yeah, that's what right, he, right, right. he should have done right um but he decided to like go you know go through and do the lift anyway so things like that seem crazy and wild but it's to probably in louis mind it was the best way to, i think to 
create competition. Yep. Yeah, what you said about Louie, I've never met him. I'd love to. But what you said about him being, like, nice and taking an interest and all that, I've noticed that. The more and more content you watch of him, at first glance, you watch just the ma- the popular content, you're like, okay, this guy's a savage. Mm-hmm. And which he was, but then you watch more and more, like, Steffi Cohen did a video where she went in toward his gym, and mm-hmm. he was super hands-on helpful, and it wasn't even just dismissively helpful. It was like, he would ask questions to the different people with her, and very interactive, and then just other videos where you start seeing more and more of that. So what you're saying, I've, I've started to notice, he does seem like a really cool, genuine guy who's just driven. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's definitely one of a kind. You know, yeah, like, for sure, for sure. <laughs> when it comes to that, but if you think about all the different things that kind of came out of West Side, you have you have him, and then you had Dave Tate, and right? You have Jim Wendler, like the impact that those guys J. M. had. Blakey, I think too. Yeah, J M. Yeah, J M. Blakely, and then there's just a whole list of. Uh, I mean, there's a whole list of great lifters. Yeah, but then there's a whole list of strength coaches. Uh, Coach House, who we've had on this podcast before, mm-hmm. and then uh, Coach House uh, had a lot of understudies under him. Kyle Kingsbury, a former UFC fighter, and like the list just goes on and right, on of right. people that have utilized a lot of the West Side stuff. I never really understand why the box squats or the uh, the board presses and some of those. I don't really understand why they get a lot of flack. I think they they have a lot of great um, merit. They're just they're great exercises, mm. you know. And then people are like I don't transfer over a hundred percent or whatever. And but it's like, well, what are we getting out of a leg press or a lunge? Like I don't know. Mm. <laughs> Who, who's to say like i don't have any idea uh what a romanian deadlift does for your regular deadlift i just know that it can sometimes be productive for some people or doing a single leg uh, bulgarian split squat like it does something right like yeah and then a, a box squat just works your lower body works your legs i wonder if it's more that because i know he did a lot of equip yeah. lifters so i wonder i wonder if it's more that for raw training there's probably just some possibly more optimal choices now, right. you know, doing like a pause squat versus a box squat for a raw lifter might uh, help you stay tight in the hole better. A hundred percent. But could you utilize a box squat when your knees bug? Oh, absolutely. Or when your groins absolutely. bother you or your back hurts. In fact, actually, I, as a raw lifter, love the box squats and I used it to really help me hammer down the neural pathway of a low bar squat because I was always very like quad dominant, really good at front squatting naturally, good forward knee travel. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time loading my posterior chain. So box squats is actually one of the things I did to really hammer that home. Cause like you had to aim for the box. You had to do it in a controlled motion. And, um, my God, it helped me so much. Just get that movement of loading the posterior chain in a low bar squat down. So yeah, I agree with you. I like it for sure. Yeah. Let me ask you this in terms of, I guess like the box squat was an example of that, but as far as the movements are concerned right now for, mm. for training, are there any recent movements or movements of the past few years that you've added in that, maybe you thought in the past would have no benefit towards your training that you're like, that's probably stupid. Then you brought it in and you're like, Ooh, actually that's a good question. Uh, yeah. Um, no, no, none of like the big exciting stuff, but actually more of like the minute, like overlooked accessory areas. Definitely like glute ham raises, oh, for example, yes. like it's one movement where it's always been obvious that they're beneficial, you know, but they're boring and they're painful. So it's like, I'd always kind of just skip to something else for hamstrings, but just recently upon get, getting my deadlift up, I've really realized, you know, how movements like that are just, that are an actual natural, you got to move your whole body weight, how beneficial those are. And like things like the re, uh, reverse, uh, the hypers, Hyper. hyper extensions, mm-hmm. you know, with a weight in hand really hammers like that lockout, the, the hip extension and, um, just things like that. Like a lot of kind of like the, uh, the less exciting, less glamorous, uh, posterior chain movements like that, the accessories, those have really begun to take, um, 
and interested and appreciate more. And I always train posterior chain hamstrings, but I think a lot of lifters, especially in their earlier years, do this. You know, your coach will assign you some sort of hamstring thing, but you kind of lean more towards the laying leg curl, the seated leg curl, the stiff leg deadlifts, just because they're a little more exciting or a little less painful. Yeah. But no, nowadays, man, like, um, th- that'd be a good example. As far as like, the main compound lifts, still been kind of consistent with those, but definitely, like, even after we, we, we pulled Mark and I deadlifted, uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. and I'm not peaked. Unfortunately, I just, it's been a hell of a month, so I really didn't get to get good training in. So I just wasn't peaked for a PR. So we went for like a small five pound PR. Felt great. My hands actually popped right off the floor nice and easy but I just couldn't lock it out. I got loose back started rounding a little bit. You know, form just kind of fell on me and I didn't get the lift. And it happens. You know, bad lifts like that happen from time to time. But now that has me, what's funny is in my head, that has me more excited to go home and program. But most of all, focus on hammering away on those accessories. Like my, um, back in the day, I think my first instinct would be to go and hammer away rep after rep on just deadlifts which I'm going to do but Really like strengthening up the glutes here. If you watch, moves nice and easy right there. And then my back kind of started rounding. I lost my hip hinge there. And it was only a five pound PR, so there's no reason it shouldn't have gone up. It was really good form. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. It was. I mean, it, you you were very, uh, yeah, that was just a matter right. of not being peaked. That's all it was. I just wasn't ready to handle maximal weight, but. And I think this is where people uh, sometimes overanalyze. You know, we could sit here and you know say oh you need to do this specifically to you know strengthen your lower back but it's really just like hey probably just a little more focus on deadlifts for three four weeks yeah and you'll be able to pull that very easily Yeah. so like had had i been able to peak like i did my last peak you know in august i peaked and i hit that 650 pr 10 pound pr had i been able to peak for this perfectly like that i think that would have moved fine so yeah i'm not overthinking it but like just little details you don't want to overanalyze just continue training can train and train longer and better but little details like so if, if my back is rounding there which you can kind of see good sign that glutes could be a little bit stronger there's other things that cause that of course like poor positioning or just not being strong enough but um it doesn't hurt to like work on the glute. i know the glutes for me are a weaker point of my deadlift they're probably like my weak link of my deadlift mm-hmm. so really hammer away a lot of glute work posterior chain work for accessories you ever yeah, tried you- cheating cheating sumo oh, oh I-, <laughs> I was like are we talking about equip lifting or- <laughs> no uh, yeah so i have played around with sumo and mm-hmm. um sumo is so technical Compared to conventional. So what I do is I play with it for a little bit. It's been like three weeks. I work up to like moderate weight, 600 pounds and pull that or whatever. But as soon as I get past 600, the weight would feel fine and easy, but like something stupid would happen. Like my knees would just start moving forward or, you know, some positioning shift so subtle Mm -hmm. and it would make you kind of stall out. Cause with sumo, it's like, once you lose it, it's lost. You're not grinding it out and not a big deal. It just became evident. It's like, okay, you're going to actually have to go back to lightweight for a while and really spend a lot of time just practicing this and getting mm-hmm. this technique down. And I realized I had no interest in doing that. It's <laughs> fair. <laughs> it's just, I don't know, man. I like conventional. I think it looks cooler for me. It feels better. Yeah. So it's the more manly deadlift. Yes. Yes. So I'd like to, what I'd like to do, man, is go back, start real programming. If it can go nice and smooth, uninterrupted, uh, knock out that seven plate deadlift before the year ends for sure. Nice. Um, I'd like to say peaked, for um, 660 would be there right now. Like if I had peaked up for this, because that's 555. I think if I had able to do a nice peak, I think maybe a 660 could have been there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, I'd like to hit like the seven plates before the end of the year. That'd be cool. So six seventy five. You really like the bench squat and deadlift in particular to help increase the bench squat and deadlift, and then yes. and then you utilize the assistance exercises uh, to maybe help bring up weak points mm-hmm. or to help bring up uh, the size of the muscle or or you know thing, things of that nature. And I, and I think that that is a really simple approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know that you sometimes will utilize some other methods. Like you might use like a pause squat, right? right. You might use, um, I don't know if you mess around with any pause deadlifts, but what are some other techniques that you might utilize that have, that you've noticed that have had a good impact on bench squat and deadlift that maybe is like, you know, equivalent of like a close grip bench or right. a partial range of motion, something or other. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad you said that too, as far as just sticking to mostly the main lifts, because I have played around different styles of training. I've done different conjugate tr- styles of training before where you do a lot of like different movements to help. I like sticking to mostly the basics and then just kind of making a variation of those basics. That's still the same movement. Um, so like for deadlifts, um, actually one thing that helped me with deadlifts were pause deadlifts are great, but one thing that helped me with deadlifts actually for a while was doing deficit deadlifts because like my lockout would always be really slow. Um, I'd be fast off the floor till I get to the knees. Lockout would be really slow. And so that can be a number of things that could be poor positioning too close to the bar. Um, but one thing for me was I really wasn't engaging my legs. Like Mark gave me a compliment yesterday, which was cool to hear. He was, he noted how I really get my legs into the lift and I make it all one, one fluid motion. Now the deadlift, it's not a two part motion. A lot of that came from actually doing deficit deadlifts. You know, if you have a slow lockout, people think block pulls or rack pulls work on the part that's weak. And that can be. A thing that can definitely work depending on what exactly your situation is. Yeah. But what I found for me and for a lot of people is usually it's the very start of the lift where you're getting kind of weak and that's making you stall out halfway up. An analogy would be the bench press. If you touch and go a bench, where do you usually fail? You get a few inches off your chest, you fail about midway up. Mm-hmm. So people would think it's a lockout that's weak. They start doing lockout training and it doesn't go, go anywhere. It's because they're weak off their chest. If they don't have that control and, and explosiveness off the chest to get them through the rep. So if you're failing midway up like that and you've been using touch and go, what I would re- recommend doing is switching to all pause reps. Soft touch pause reps, trying to touch just the fabric of your shirt without touching your skin underneath. It's impossible, but it's a good way to make sure you touch the bar nice and soft and let it sink down. It builds that control at the bottom. Throw in some tempo reps even, three-second negatives, because that'll that'll help. If you if there's any positioning that is weak or unoptimal, it's going to come right out when you're under three-second negatives. You're going to be like, oh, shoot. Yeah. So that'll force you to kind of go into a stronger position where you should be and build that new pattern. Um, so that's what I like doing. I like kind of just maximizing the entire lift like that. So for deadlifts, what I actually did for a while was deficits on like a three-inch deficit. Because for me, you know, when, you're, when the bar is that much lower, your knees can bend that much more and come that much more forward. So it's really easy for your hips to shoot up on a deficit deadlift. So you are forced to really work on engaging those glutes from the very start of the rep. Mm-hmm. And doing that helped me just get my legs more involved, my hips more involved. And it's like, you know, again, people think if you're having a hard time with the lockout, work the lockout. But if you can be strong and clean off the floor, a lot of times you're not going to have issues with your lockout. Even if you're fast off the floor, it's usually because you're, your quad, you know, you're using your quads to get it started, but your positioning's weak everywhere else. So, um, yeah, I, I would do that. I would work the whole lift, the entirety of the lift, add some extra range of motion, and do it in a way that forces me to really engage my lower body better, and that helped tremendously. And then if you get that down, 
and everything's firing clean, your positioning is great, and then you start having an issue with lockout, then you could probably start adding in some overload to the lockout stuff like block pulls and stuff like that. But so to answer your question, I love tempos. Tempo reps for sure, like three-second negatives on the squat. Love that. Um, I like pause squats. I think they're great. Um, the bench press, same deal. Long pauses, two sec, two Mississippi counts on the bench, and then uh, three-second negatives on the way down. I like very simple variations like that. Can you explain, uh, so like yesterday during the live stream, um, so people should definitely go back and check that out on the uh, Mark Bell Super Training Gym channel. Uh, you were saying that uh, when you kind of set up for a deadlift, you're almost simulating like jumping forward. Yes. I've never heard anybody say that. Uh, can you explain what you're talking about? Yeah. So a um, couple of things there. On a very basic level, when you set up for a deadlift, like if you set up to do a vertical jump, not even necessarily forward, just jumping straight up. Oh, okay. Um, Wherever your feet go, like if you don't even think about it, if I tell you to just jump up as high as you can and touch the ceiling, without even thinking about it, your feet are going to suddenly adjust to their strongest, most powerful position to leap off the ground. So that's about where your feet should be, like uh, distance-wise, setting up for a deadlift because that's your powerful position for your feet, for your stance. Also, if you look at the deadlift, the biggest mistake people make is trying to squat into a deadlift too much. Hips should be somewhat high in a deadlift. Not too high, but they should be higher than a squat because a deadlift actually mimics a vertical leap more so than it does a squat. So if you look at a vertical leap from the side, if I stood here and just jumped in front, if I jumped forward or if I jumped high, whatever, if I did a vertical leap of any sort, uh, if you watch my body in slow motion, it would look very similar to a deadlift. You see my hips move backwards. I'd be hinging at the hips. I'd get a little bit of a bend in my knees, but I wouldn't be like squatting down to the ground. Very similar to a deadlift. So from the jump, um, no pun intended, <laughs> verticals, like a vertical leap is very similar to a deadlift mechanically speaking. And then, so as far as jumping forward goes with the hips, this has been a huge cue that's helped me and it helped a few other lifters. I know, um, what people, a big mistake, a lot of deadlifters make is they try to sit the weight back on their heels too much mm. and they start pulling and then it usually gets stuck on the knees. And then if they make it past their knees, they usually, if you watch their hips remain back behind them and they struggle to drag it against their thighs, they're kind of bringing the weight back to their hips mm -hmm. when it should be the other way around. The hips should be shooting forward to the bar. Your hips should be trying to hump that bar. So what I tell people is imagine you're standing at a deadlift and you're literally just about to leap forward over the bar. You're going to jump in front of the bar bar over it right and if you if you just do that motion you fake like you're about to jump over the bar watch where your hips go as soon as you go to leap your hips are firing over that bar hey now yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly your <laughs> hips go right over that bar and so like, that's what's the, behind that desk that's the best way that's the best cue i found to get hip engagement going is is focus on that when when you go to deadlift be on the the center of your feet not the heels the center of your feet and as soon as you start pulling those hips should be coming forward as if you're jumping over the bar and that fixes so many deadlifts you'll see it the hips start mm -hmm. shooting straight forward into that bar and locking out beautifully but power bite yeah, this and just zoom in on Nick. Just, just that. Someone make a me. Yeah, we're, we're about to have a mini desk. We just have to call it Nick Wright Jr. Impregnated it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how about like head placement, not of the uh, the making of the new desk, but like because Mark, you you told me like like hey like let's get your head behind the bar because I was going too far forward. Do you like pay any attention to like uh like where your head like your the, upper half of your body in relation to where the bar is yeah typically a good rule of thumb is if you look at yourself from the side your rare delts should be over the bar like lined up at the bar 
The rest of your shoulder should be in front of the bar. Now, for you, it can be different for different lifters. Different lifters need sometimes extreme cues to really get something in their head. So if you were too in front of the bar or you had your head too far down or something like that, and he's telling you to get it behind the bar, you're not going to literally be able to get your head behind the bar. It's impossible in a deadlift. But thinking that way might help you get your head back into just a better position. Mm -hmm. And I've done that with um, another lifter who was too heavy on his heels for a while with very lightweight. Because you wouldn't want to do this with a heavyweight, but very lightweight. I had him practice deadlifting on the balls of his feet just because it helped him suddenly engage the hips. He was no longer sitting back on his heels too much. And obviously, we'll get it so he's doing it on the center of his feet eventually. But it was a, an extreme cue that was incorrect technically that helped him get out of a bad habit. So for me, I like for the head position, I mean, a good place to start is keeping your neck in line with your spine by looking about five feet in front of you. Look on the floor about five feet in front of you. So your head's not going to be straight down looking at your feet. Uh, but you don't want to jar your head straight up either. And then you can, there's some flexibilities, different builds, different people. So I, my head goes a little bit higher than that, but I'm not looking straight up towards the ceiling either. Yeah, no, that makes sense because like when you're saying like, don't pull the bar into you, I swear that that's definitely me. It's like, are you trying to do like a standing like row like right now? Like right. what's going on? So that's when you said that, I'm like, ooh, he's like at me next time you know but (laughs) (laughs) so that makes a lot of sense yeah i appreciate it if you guys look at my youtube channel my most recent video called uh form check fix your deadlift and it's long so you have to pull it up now but anybody who's listening who's having issues with the deadlift go check that out i actually filmed somebody who who i'm training i filmed their failed attempt um and they had the strength for it all day long. Their positioning was just off. So I go in and I actually show where the positioning is off. And then I demonstrate some things. And I think it's probably one of the more helpful videos on deadlifting. I think what happens a lot of times is people, their, their butt will shoot up. And a lot of their body weight goes in front of the barbell. Right. Which looks like to be the problem. But it's not necessarily the problem. It's the result of... Uh, maybe not keeping their lats tight or just mm-hmm. simply maybe just also not being strong enough to hold a position. But if you can keep your lats, if you can try to take a, a regular barbell and turn it into a trap bar, mm-hmm. you know, by trying to pretend that you're bending that bar around right. your body, then you should be able to keep your lats tight enough to where there's not a lot of room between where your elbows are and where your body is. Because once you have a lot of distance between where your body is and where your elbows are, it means the weight's getting out in front of you and you're getting a lot of body weight over the bar. And then it just makes it very, very difficult. Like the position right there. Right. Yep. And he's the example I was talking about. It makes so it very difficult to clean that. He had the up. weight all day. He moved it easy. as easy. As I see what you mean by he's sitting backwards. See, he's yeah. sitting back. He's trying to pull it back into him. Very common issue. I've had the same issue before. So for him, we're just, we're working on, he needs to stand further away from the barbell first. And I get into all of it in this video in really good detail. I think this video will help anyone who watches it, but yeah, we're going to get him further away from the bar. And, and he's, the one who we're going to have, you know, work off the balls with his feet with lightweight just to get out of that habit of being on his heels. Starting position is so huge. You know, his back yeah. is a little rounded from the start. It and then is. when he goes to pull, he gets rounded a little bit more. And whenever you're rounded, it just gets to be really, really hard to use your butt. Yes. Yes. And it's rounded because hard to use your hips. It's rounded because his, if you look at his shins, they're too close to the bar. Perpendicular. He needs more space. Yeah. There's no room for his knees to bend forward. So his hips are way far behind him now. And you have to round just to get down to the bar in that position. This guy's just just a mess. 
<laughs> you were able to help him though? You hear that, John? Um, yeah, so he was the one who actually hit that 40 pound squat PR. I want nice, to get credit where nice. it's due. Hit a 40 pound squat PR. And uh, as soon as we get this positioning down, he, the floodgates are going to open. So this is 455. He's going to shoot up to a 500 pound deadlift in no time. He has a lot of strength built up. John, what in the fuck are you doing? This <laughs> boy's got some long arms though. Yeah, so I think he's going to have a monster deadlift. Um, it's just some positioning things. Just got to move some things around and it'll be all good to go. Yeah, he gets that back flap from the beginning. He's going to be crushing it. Yep, and that'll just come from simply just changing the positioning he starts and with his, his feet a little further away from the bar. Yeah, and so about that, like, I just remember hearing from, like, gym bros in the gym, like, 24-hour gym back in the day, like, oh, like, you, your your shins need to be, like, basically touching. Right. And then, because it was like, well, every inch or whatever it is away from your body adds X amount of pounds. If you watch this right here, look, he gets past his knees, and then watch where the bar goes. It goes in. It goes back to it. Look, his hips stay behind mm-hmm. his feet, and mm-hmm. he brings the bar towards his hips. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's a very common issue. So that should be the opposite. We want his hips to go towards the bar, not like that. But that's because he's too much on his heels, and it's because of positioning. Mm-hmm. And then what you were just saying about getting Yeah, just advice. like how close should we be then? So, yeah, if a good rule of thumb is if you're standing straight up and you're a conventional deadlifter, uh, your shin should never be touching the bar. Almost never. I'm sh- there are some exceptions, I'm sure. There's always exceptions in life. you got some crazy builds out there. But a good rule of thumb for a majority of people is if your shins are touching the bar and you're doing a conventional deadlift, you're too close to the bar. Typically, a good idea is to cut your feet in half, starting from the front of your ankle to your toes. That sh- stretch, cut that in half with the bar. And um, I actually get into the, some tricks how to find that in my video. And actually, Mark and I's live video, we mm-hmm. got into that too. Yeah, the only time your legs should touch the bar at all would be maybe at the initiation, depending on how much forward knee travel you're going to need. Right. Um, and then, again, each person is a little different with that, depending on their ankle mobility. Like, there's some people that get down into um, almost like a snatch, you yeah. know, like they're, yeah. and they can deadlift really well that way. Yep. And so for some of those people, they might be really, really straight up and down. But that's from from what I've seen in general, it's not a great way to deadlift nope. to try to really squat them up. I, I've I've seen a couple guys be able to actually do it, um, but from a conventional perspective, to try to squat it up is usually a mistake. It's usually uh, you're usually at like a mechanical disadvantage. Yeah. You're, you're you're moving around a little bit excessively, and if you raise your hips up just a tiny bit, a lot of times you're in somewhat of a little bit stronger position. That's yeah. That's one of the most important points of deadlifting raising your hips up so like one of the most common causes of hips shooting up on you in deadlifts is you're starting with hips too low to begin with Mm -hmm. so they have to find their their actual proper point of leverage so they raise up and then once they find it then you start lifting so actually what you guys can do is if you've ever had your hips shoot up on you film yourself replay your deadlift about where your hips land when the weight finally starts lifting off the ground, it's roughly about where your hips should actually be starting in that lift. And it goes back to that jumping analogy I made. If I told you to jump as high or as far as you can, you're not going to squat your butt down to your ankles. You Think how hard that would be, squatting all the way down and then just leaping. That'd be horrible. You wouldn't do it. Your butt stays kind of high up. Your hips just kind of move back, slight little knee bend, and then you launch. So, you know, unless you're... uh Unless you're uh Nick Rodriguez and you can get super low and do like those low shoot-ins. He's like a... Just a whole different breed, but oh, he's a monster. <laughs> O'Hearn is like that too, right? Like, he yeah, would, yeah, he can get. I in swear, there. he yeah. would just get like under the bar for a dead. Like, whoa, yeah. how'd yeah. you get down there? Yeah, Mike's a mutant. And mm-hmm. some people, it should be noted that some advanced lifters might do. It might look like they're starting from a squat, but sometimes they're kind of almost like the way like Brian Shaw like kind of rolls and sits the deadlift into him. Sometimes they're kind of squatting into it just to get nice and tight, and they're coming up. And when you see them 
coming out of that deep squat, it's not necessarily them starting the rep yet. That might be them just kind of, now they're getting back into position. Building. And as soon as that hip hits, yeah. then they start the rep. But it looks like all one motion. They're build, building tension. One thing I want to point out is you mentioned deficit deadlifts. And I think um, if you use a deadlift bar uh, quite a bit in training and you're doing repetitions, and you're doing touch and go, then I would advise that you always pull from a little bit of a deficit. And the reason is, is that the bar is bending quite a bit and you're shortening your range of motion for every single lift that you do after the first rep. Right. So if you're touching and going, your your range, the range of motion of your deadlift, you might've cut off two, three inches of of that particular lift. So I would advise, uh, as you were saying earlier with the deficit deadlift, I think it's a, it's a great, um, it's a great thing to implement but also I see a lot of people using a deadlift bar and they'll do reps and do those touch and go reps, which is great. You build up a lot of time under tension, but rep number two, three, four, and five are nothing like rep number one. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I typically don't like touch and go as a rule of thumb anyway. I think it's a little more risky mm. and I'm huge on just getting that big reset. Treat each rep like a single. Some people do touch and go. Some great lifters do it and it works. So again, there's always exceptions. There's no black and white, right or wrong. Answer, but in general, I think a lot of people would benefit from resetting each rep. What about going down slower in the deadlift? Do you ever mess with that, or you're not concerned about no, that? No, I actually, personal opinion, and people can disagree, I feel like the deadlift is the one movement where the negative is kind of useless to try to focus on, and actually uh, more dangerous. You know, unless your goal is to build big legs, you know, for bodybuilding or something like that, or a big, you know, big posterior So chain. maybe as an assistance movement, perhaps, but... Otherwise, right, right. don't worry about it. If you're going to do negatives, maybe light deadlifts or stick to variations like uh, um, stiff leg deadlifts or RDLs. Mm. I think those are good to do negatives with. But regular heavy deadlifts, I don't like doing negatives at all. I think you should just straight down each rep. As someone who had problems with their glutes, like you said that you had problems activating your glutes, that also seems like you may have had problems actually using your hips during the deadlift right. initially. Yep. What are some of the things that helped you get some of that? Because a lot of new lifters don't know how to use their hips. Yes. Yeah. So um, one big thing that can make a huge difference is just simply getting your stance a little bit wider. And I go into it in that video I just mentioned, my most recent one on my channel. Um, but just getting my stance a little bit wider because everyone wants to start with a really narrow stance because they feel like you know, you get more quad drive out of the bottom. It feels, and you can get your torso a little more upright because you can get your hands in closer. Mm-hmm. But if you just widen your stance just a little, little bit, um, it really helps you engage like the glutes, engage the hips a whole lot more. Um, and then outside of that, just using, so another big factor that hurts people is just simply not bracing well enough. Mm-hmm. If you don't brace well, you're not going to have a hip hinge. You know, your back's going to start rounding. So really learning how to brace and feel that hip hinge, even with no weight. And again, widening your stance, if you even just do it like standing with no weight, it's easier to brace and feel a hip hinge with your feet wider apart than it is closer together. You don't want to be too wide, but um, you don't want to be too close either. And then outside of that, just different movements like uh, hip thrusts, which I don't even think are necessarily the best movement for building glutes, but they're definitely good for working them and for feeling them and for learning how to activate them. And they definitely do. They build some strength. There. I think the reason why they help so much is that people are really, really short in the hip, in the mm. hip flexor and in the quad. And that helps to kind of open that up. A lot of people just don't move well from there. You mentioned yesterday uh, having, you know, your hips kind of uh, rotated towards the ground a little bit. Right, right. And for a lot of people that are built that way, um, a lot of athletes are built that way. And a lot of times your your butt kind of gets bigger from any of the stuff that you do. You sprint mm-hmm. or you play football or you do anything. Your ass just keeps getting yeah. bigger, bigger and bigger. But what I've seen in powerlifting is actually really interesting is that, 
that big butt a lot of times you're not able to use it the way yeah. you need to because your your hips are kind of stuck back just right. a little bit all the right. time and so anything you can do to get your hips to open up some sort of couch stretch or yeah. or, or uh, hip hip thrust or whatever way you got to figure it out i think would be really uh beneficial and you'll notice a lot of power lifters when they stand a lot of the really really strong bigger guys their knees are always kind of bent mm. uh their hips are kind of like you know just like stuck mm. yeah. they just look like they're stuck yep. like you're like man like how <laughs> this guy looks like he's gonna have a hard time getting up <laughs> off the couch but then he goes and deadlifts 800 pounds really easy yeah yeah you nailed it and then one of the things that mark told me about like bigger power lifter guys was they won't stand flat-footed and when he pointed it out to me he pointed out to me at in the gym and i was like in tears laughing because the guy that he was pointing at absolutely did it but then now that i'm <laughs> wait, in the wait, store what do you mean they won't stand flat uh, so a lot of times they, they won't be like on their on their heels um they're just uncomfortable so they're kind of like they're kind of like this all the time and, and their <laughs> back so is like this and I, I don't think anybody even... So now just like really? when, when you're in line like at the grocery store and there's like a bigger person in front of you, just look and you'll be like, oh shit, I, I do it was so, right. I do it sometimes because my back will be like tight. Yes. And so I'll be like a little a little short with the way I'm standing. But, um, you know, years ago, like learning a lot of <laughs> stuff. So funny, dude, just I'm just trying to me, emulate watch. this and see why though. Are they? So they, they don't do smooth panther. Do they? Yeah, yeah, they don't do. Yeah, they're not smooth panther in it. But like years ago, when I started learning a lot of stuff from uh, from Kelly Sturette, it, it just got to be really weird when he, he and I got in conversation. And he was talking very technical, and then I was just saying like, "Yeah, I like to kind of screw my feet into the floor when I do a squat because then then it allows me to flex my butt and drive my hips forward and, and have my knees." Uh, you know, pretty locked in for a squat or yeah. for sometimes for like a sumo deadlift or something like that. And he started adding all these technical terms to it and stuff. <laughs> but he was talking about how important it was to have a neutral spine. He's like, when your spine is neutral, you're able to demonstrate your strength the most. And he showed me these like slides that he presented in seminars. He's like, here's this guy running a 400 meter. He's like, he's at a disadvantage. He lost the race. He's like, look at the guy who's in first. Wow. That's cool. And cause the guy's like running, you know, he's all, he's got this crazy upright posture. Right, right. He's overextended. And he's like, look at this other person. Uh, they're, they're, they're in flexion and they're, they're rounded over. And he's like, just, you know, he goes, next time you go to a coffee shop or something, he's like, or you go to a mall or whatever restaurant, he goes, just look around and look at people and just, just watch the way they stand and watch the way they, the way they move. And you'll see like, there's so many little corners of life where you can optimize everything, yeah. even just the way that you stand, the way yeah, that you yeah. walk, the way that you, the way to do anything. And I'm not saying anyone should try to like emulate trying to be perfect or even just try to stand with like this picture perfect um, posture because you would actually hurt yourself in the long run. But a lot of people, a lot of lifters and a lot of bigger people in general, their elbows are real bent. The knees are kind of bent. Yeah. And that that's just going to cause a lot of problems for you later on when you're trying to lift big weights because right. I mean, you see it a lot of times with older lifters are like, I can't lock out my benches. My arms only kind of go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, how the hell did that happen? That guy, you might have some guys in jujitsu who are older. Maybe they're not as uh, mobile or flexible or whatever. Do you that see that? Kind of run into some of that. Or does jujitsu require you to stay like loose enough to where that kind of counters it? No, jujitsu and wrestlers, their postures generally like 
They're like this. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen that with wrestlers. Yeah, because they're always like pulling and uh, doing that. But also, if they don't, especially if they don't do a lot of strength training, they're not getting a lot of posterior chain right. work. Especially they're like rear delts and stuff. So they yeah, end yeah. up having like you can tell even fighters. Yeah, like, that's how you can yeah. tell when someone's a fighter. They usually walk through a door like this, yeah, uh, kind of yes. over. Nate You're Diaz right. Uh, look, right? Right, right. Always yeah. with the shr- yeah. And actually, it's funny. I was watching wrestling drills randomly last night on my mm-hmm. phone, and but it's funny. All the like the coach like walking around was in good shape, Again, Nick. just like this. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, I was. It was in the bathroom. I you was, have the most beautiful. Time. You got the most beautiful girlfriend sitting right she, here. That's a beard, and all and all you do is all you do all day is look at men on the, on the, on your phone. Yeah, bodybuilders, wrestlers. Oh yeah, she, she, she she's dead inside over here. Just waiting. Oh man, oh, she just, she sticks around for my Dodge Magnum. That poor girl. She's just hoping that stock stuff works out. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, she is pretty, huh? Yeah. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're doing pretty good, buddy. I'll, I'll, All I'll around you're doing pretty as, good. I'll keep her as a beard for a while. She was actually very disappointed yesterday, and I don't know if you heard, but like that that deadlift really kind of <laughs> it hit her pretty hard. She was like, I don't know, you know, and I was like, no, I I get it. Like he missed six fifty five. Like I don't know. But why do you think I was in the bathroom watching wrestlers? <laughs> <laughs> I get it now. I get it now. Now it's all coming together. Yeah. It's making well, some sense. Oh, yeah. Now I'm never going to be able to stop looking at powerlifters' feet. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, it's going to make you laugh because you're like, oh, my god. You're going to see him messaging like, Eddie Hall, can I get pictures of your feet? hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> how, how have you been from a mental standpoint uh, dealing with just, uh, I don't know, the different media news and like you did mention, like you didn't mind taking off from the gym, but how has things been? How have, how have things been in general? Like, I don't know, with your family and everything else, like you've been able to stay in pretty good spirits and stay pretty pumped up and excited about life. Yeah, um, I mean, as far as media goes, I don't focus on any of that stuff. Like, it trips me out how people can get that emotionally attached to just news. It's insane. Like, even if you have your opinions and stuff, it's like unless you can actually change it that day, why get upset about it? So. Yeah, I just, my biggest thing is, man, I just focus on me. You don't see many successful people focusing on news, politics. Like, you just don't see them posting about it. It's not taking up their life because they're focusing on them and what's in front of them. And it's pretty much just what I try to do. And just looking at the positives of everything. Um, before coming out here, the last two weeks, I had to go. The reason my training got so thrown off is I was driving like a four hours round trip to New Hampshire to take care of my grandparents, mm. you know, and my grandfather was, he's good. He's just going through a surgery soon. So he's on this heavy pain medication. It's all temporary. He's sharp as attack, but the pain medication just made him like basically almost like physically numb. Like he had to help him stand up, walk, you know, the whole nine yards. And you have to give him this medication leading up to a surgery. You know, my grandmother has a, a different situation going on that out of respect for them, I'll keep her situation private. But, you know, she definitely, you need to be around the clock for her as well. So, um, yeah, I go up there with my aunt, Aunt Allison. Shout out to Aunt Allison. She's amazing. Superhero. <laughs> and so we would uh, take care of them. But, you know, that was like throughout the night and stuff like that. But, like, I didn't look at it as like a big thing. Like, the, I, the whole time I went up there, I was like, hey, I'm happy to be up in this house again, you know. Who knows how much longer this house will be around? Like, I was just looking at the positives. Like, hey, I get to spend this time with them. That's awesome. There's no sleep involved, but it's like (laughs) you get to have that time. So, I don't know. I just feel like you can look at, you can choose to look at things really negatively or you can choose to look at them positively. And you can have your moments, obviously. You have moments where the sleep hits you and you're just like, you have almost like a meltdown. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Everything sucks. But it's like, you know, you get some sleep and you wake up the next day and you're good to go. So, yeah. 
Just kinda... Did you grow up in a fairly positive household? Yeah, very blessed. Very blessed there. My my father was so supportive and uh, just, you know, fun. He was a disciplinarian, but he was also like a whole lot of fun, too. I mean, he's awesome. And then my mother's a sweetheart. So I was blessed to have to definitely have that. And I don't take that for granted. And so that's why I also try to pay that forward whenever I can in life, too. That uh, discipline did that. um you know, kind of play into like who you are now, you know, you're, yeah, you seem like a self starter. And, and then at that time, did you hate it? Were you like, fuck man, this is like, cause I think every kid kind of goes through that. Oh yeah. Of course. When you're young, it's like, you don't like the discipline. There. Yeah, of <laughs> course. But, uh, no, definitely. Like I, I got my work ethic from both him and my grandfather. My grandfather is a machine of a man. It's <laughs> impressive. And, um, and so like, even when you had to, when I had to help him out, you know, he physically couldn't do much. You had to help him stand up and walk with him and almost carry him basically. And he's a six foot one man. He's no, no tiny man. Um, but even it's like, he was like probably the best person you could have hoped to have in that situation. Just cause you know, there was a lot of uncomfortable situations physically for him. Most people probably would have thrown a fit or gotten snappy or just said, I don't want to take the, I don't want to take the medicine. Just leave me alone. Whatever. He was, he's such a machine as he just, he met you halfway as much as anyone could. I mean, he just powered through it. No complaining, militant. But I love that. I think that and then my father, his work ethic kind of drilled that into me. So that's why, like, it was funny because people would, I got a couple of compliments the other day. People were just saying that, like, oh, you guys had a long day here. You know, how do you stay upbeat? How do you stay upbeat? And I just, like, for me, it's like if you're doing something, you get it done like a job. It's not, and, and honestly, I mean, working with you guys is like fun. That's like a family. Like you guys, this is a fun time. It's like Disneyland, but, <laughs> but like, yeah, that's just, I don't know. I, I think that was how I was raised, which I'm grateful for now. You just, you have a job to do, you do it. And there's a lot to be grateful for. Yeah, Especially for sure. right now. Like, I mean, people are losing the people don't have jobs. They've right. lost their jobs. Right. If you have somewhere you work, even if you don't like it, that's something to be grateful yeah. for right there. So, I mean, and we, we felt it too. Yeah, it puts I've a lost, new spin on everything, right? Yeah. But I, we felt it too. I've lost um, people, people watch this and probably be like, oh, it's easy to be positive when you A, B, C, and D. And I'm, I'm definitely grateful in respects, but man, my, my income got chopped in half. We lost, cause just, you know, sponsors, um, whole salaries are gone just cause they couldn't, they got hit. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, and then traffic slows down because no one's caring about working out. No one can even go to the gym. So we all got hit, you know, but I'm grateful to still be standing and have what I have going on, going on. But yeah, it's just, you just got to keep pushing through. Pity parties don't save anything. The stock market goes on, my friend. That does go on and you can make money when it goes up or down. Yeah. Well, and it never gets that messed up. Like it, it, in the course of a 10 year span, it's, it's been pretty much a bull market. It's, it's the always, whole. it's always going to go up. Yeah. Yeah, for real. It's been pretty much a bull market. I think people think it's like gambling. I think they think it's a real roll of the dice, mm-hmm. which it could be if you were uninformed. If you did, exactly. If you yeah. don't know what you're doing. There's so many parallels I've found to trading, learning trading, to lifting. Mm-hmm. It's like, it is gambling, like, if you don't know what you're doing. Just like going to the gym and trying to load up a max weight if you don't even know how to squat. You don't know what technique is. You don't know how to brace. Nothing. Stay away from the risky shit until you know what you're doing better. Exactly, yeah. Practice it. Learn it. Learn it. Patient. Yeah. <laughs> like, just don't sell when things go down. Maybe don't be so emotional sometimes. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, don't try to time the market. Hold on. Things yeah. go down and up. Don't try to time. You won't time it. You're not going to catch the bottom. You're not going to sell at the top. Mm-hmm. So just hold it's on. It's kind of funny because my, my wife likes the stock market. And, uh, you know, when she's going over it with, with one of our friends who, you know, specializes in it, he, you know, he's he's very kind. So he's like, hey, you know, look lady you know <laughs> do, do whatever you'd like it's your money you know like because my wife has some certain things that she's like more drawn to and my wife is like i don't know how she does it because i i just wouldn't be able to 
do half of the stuff she does. Like she's able to have emotion in stuff and have it not negatively impact her. Right. And so for me, I need to be like, kind of just like, just, I don't know. I need to be very even keel. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have highs and lows. If I hit a certain lift, I don't really care if I miss a certain lift that I really don't care. I, uh, I just try to keep everything more even, but she's able to really go up and down and have it not have a negative uh, impact. That's impressive. But but it was kind of funny. Like when we're, doing stock stuff she's like she's like oh i really want to do this i really you know and he'll he'll advise and he's trying to say like in a nice way like that's not a great idea yeah yeah, yeah. but then he's also seeing how like strong willed she is yeah. and he's like i better just i better just shut the fuck up i'll let her yeah i'll let her i, would, I, would, I wouldn't want to try to tell her what to do yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work out so good unless you have wine Unless you have wine. Yeah, yeah, you have a bottle of wine and some cheese, maybe. He might. Oh, to, man, that sounds fantastic. Even in SEMA, I was digging on that cheese. Brie cheese is We love the cheese amazing. board, Ariana and I. That's our big thing, wine and cheese boards. Craft yeah. cheese, I heard. Uh, no, no, no. That's on me time. That's my own time. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> yeah, is there dude. a craft cheese inside joke that we're not getting? No, it's just that I have, like, the palate of a dog, so I, like, I, I, I appreciate... She was, ra- she was ratting him out yesterday about I, how I he loves craft cheese. I appreciate nice things in their time, so, like, we do a nice cheese board, but on my own time... Left to my own, I'm dude. I use craft cheese on everything. I just melt it over like That's chicken. So great. I love it, dude. It's great. It's not even real cheese. It tastes so good, dude. You need to do it meal, melts phenomenal. Dude, you need to do meal prep with that. I, I've done it before. People like, have seen it. Like make like make like a like the perfect bodybuilding <laughs> thing, and then just dump a giant thing of craft cheese That's, on top of it. That is basically what my meals look like. Yeah. I'll be like well made chicken breast, this and that cheese, cheese. microwave, bam. Slathered. I did that when I was younger. I used to, yeah, I used to do a lot of that, just like dump cheese on something, warm it up, and eat it. Yeah, I did it when I was younger too. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't supposed glad, to be. Glad, a glad I grew out of that one, man. Looking back, <laughs> oh, no, no. looking back to last week for I flew out here. <laughs> <laughs> that actually sounded so messed up. Now that I replayed. <laughs> Oh my God. We, when I was a kid, we had these, uh, they're not like popular anymore. We had like these sandwich maker things. Like you would just, oh, you yeah. press it down and, and, uh, I don't know, just like, just like toast your sandwich or whatever, yeah. right? I, I used those. to make the weirdest combinations of stuff because, like, <laughs> you know, my parents had three boys, and so we were just like always eating all the food, and there would be like nothing left. And so right. I'm like, what can I like make a sandwich with? You know, and I'd put like, mustard and turkey and whatever the hell cheese was around yeah, yeah, yeah. Velveeta cheese or something <laughs> something that's indestructible that like yeah. never goes bad <laughs> and so I'd like try to you know, and it never worked like the sandwiches always sucked like they just I could never get them to, if my mom made it then it was amazing yeah. if I made it it just was awful had you have been high it would have been fine yeah. Yeah, I would have been I would have been good to go I used to make uh, omelets out of that same like little press thing because yeah. you could just you know throw whatever same thing you just like, bring those oh, things back and I would put like the already like made bacon bits because i'm like i'm gonna put bacon in here and it just like it just always hurt your teeth because it's just, <laughs> it's just isn't gross. it funny when you make something for yourself and it like you know like you, you know that it didn't work but you just keep eating it and you're like this totally wow this just didn't work and you it's just rare keep that eating i experienced something i feel like didn't work yeah well it used to happen to me all the time when i was a kid yeah, I'm not so much anymore i'll eat anything it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter what about fat free cheese yeah. No, it doesn't melt. It doesn't melt. It melts. You guys saw me eat it yesterday. Ah, I don't know, man. That's so the the fat free singles is kind of where I draw the line. It comes out kind of plasticky. Yeah, that's just not classy. It's well, I'm not how I'm not a classy lady. How is fat free cheese? Th- like, I'm really curious about the process of fat yeah, free cheese. It's kind of like 
opposite. It, well, I think it, it's like right? milk. I think they take the yeah, they take the cream off the top or something. Yeah, like that. it, was, it but resembles yeah, it cheese, and it kind of gives you the effect. If you ain't talking crafts, I don't want to talk. Yeah, <laughs> that's all about the uh, the Walmart brand. They make really good fat. Dude, Walmart's cheese. where it's at for crafts. <laughs> Craft is actually really good. It's delicious. It actually is delicious. I don't know how you can look me in the eye and tell me you don't enjoy the taste of Kraft singles. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No one has anyone nope. to say. <laughs> you don't count. You have too many allergies. You can't have, you can't have it. <laughs> yeah, those like uh, individual yeah. packets of like cheap American cheese. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Like you know, yeah, you know, you're down to the bottom of the barrel and you're eating that. Craft single sponsor me. <laughs> That'd be sick. You know what's amazing that I found recently at the store and I never knew about it before. I, I went past it a bunch and I've seen advertisements for it. Is uh, Fair Life? They make a um, they make a chocolate milk that only has five grams of sugar in it, That's and cool. it has twenty six grams of protein. I've been buying it for my Ooh, kids. Okay, wow, yeah. it's freaking good. You I mean, sure it's, it's not just whey protein. It's kind of what it sounds. It's like. it's a protein <laughs> shake. Yeah, that's it's, cool. And it's it's lactose free. It's freaking. It's really really good. Mm. I was I was surprised. I was like, wow, this is actually because they make a chocolate milk, yeah. and their chocolate milk has more protein than regular milk, but it still had a lot of sugar in it. Right, right. But yeah, right. I saw this more recently and I was like, damn, that's pretty good. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's legit. That's another phase I had as a teenager. For some reason, I read somewhere and they were like, oh yeah, studies show that drinking chocolate milk after workout. Oh, yeah. workout. oh man, yeah, and the post-workout did. gimmicks. Yeah. Did, did you guys ever do that? Of course. I, yeah. I, did that for a long time. Milk, of course. I can't remember if it's chocolate milk. That I remember is, hearing different sugary things. I that, is, that is really genius. So, no, it's, a, it's an actual study. That they did with chocolate milk. Yeah. But shout out to the dairy farmers, man. Like, that's that's a great way to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, shit. Yeah, but didn't, didn't the dairy industry in itself get busted for, like, so many fake, like, bias uh, studies? Uh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of many, many I mean, times. chocolate makes sense post-workout. Yeah. It's like glycogen, but I don't, I don't see what the need for milk yeah, look, would be. 30 grams of protein. Dude, and only 150 calories. Yeah, you're going to be yeah. fucking shit. jacked out of your mind. That's true. For Jasmine. That's How you amazing. eating now, Nick? What's going on with your food nowadays? I intermittent fast. I just feel better that way. Besides deadlift day, it's the only thing I eat. Fast, before. fast, or just like ten hours, twelve hours, or like um, you going pretty deep? I basically, I wake up. I don't eat until after the gym, and I'll usually do the gym depending on the day because I'll, I'll trade throughout the day. But if I get trading done nice and early, gym might be like around eleven, twelve. Get out, get home by like one, one thirty, and then I'll eat then. Mm. If I trade later in the day, go to the gym late, three, four. You know, if I stay all the way till market close and I go to the gym after four, then that'll be the first time i eat mm-hmm. all day so there's no real set window it's just after the gym i train fasted and this just kind of allows me a i feel better training fasted i hit all my bench and squat prs fasted and then b it just helps me eat big meals without overeating so that's why i've been able to not get fat just kind of maintain like this sweet spot of 195 where i'm not shredded but i'm not chubby either and like i feel good lifting so just eating like and they pretty well-rounded. I don't follow, like, you know, a no-carb or anything like that right now. It's just it's very well-rounded. Like, post-workout meal is usually whey protein. The slingshot protein still, actually. Hell yeah. And then, um, and then like, uh, what I'll do is the Ronnie Coleman grits, which I actually got from him. So it's it's butter-flavored grits um, with one cheese melted on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> melted. Cook up two eggs, scramble them, cook them up. 
when the steaming hot grits and melted cheese is done, you put the eggs on top, put the cheese, another piece of cheese on top of that, let it melt for a second, oh my and God. then you mix it all around, and it sounds like what, and it looked kind of crazy when he made it, but no. oh my God, it's delicious. It's, yeah. It sounds amazing. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Did you ever have any doubts real quick before you started working out fasted? Like, did the first few workouts not feel the greatest, or was there, or did you immediately go into that? No, it felt, it felt like, I don't remember it that clearly, but I do vaguely remember it feeling like hell at first. Yeah. You're just not used to it. Mm-hmm. I went from, especially you know, all my years of powerlifting were always done with big meals before you lift. That's how you did it. And um, so I remember doing it. In, I started in 2018 when I was doing my cut for the photo shoot. And my calories were just so low. It's like I had to intermittent fast or I'd be starving. Yeah. You know, it was either that or have just the tiniest meals and be starving. So I started intermittent fasting. I just forced it. And fortunately, hitting PRs wasn't my big goal. I ended up hitting a bunch, but it wasn't my focus. My focus was getting shredded. So I was able to kind of put the psychology of I need to be strong for this workout in the backseat. Mm-hmm. And I just forced myself to push through the workouts. And But then, like, unsurprisingly, after a month or so, it, it clicked and it started feeling great. And then after doing it for you know, over a year, now it's like there's been times... I tried actually recently. There's been times where I've tried going back to eating like a good meal before I lift just to see. It feels horrible. Feels sluggish. Oh, I feel, yeah, so sluggish. Yeah. So, yeah, I just got used to it, man. I've never looked back. Now it just feels way better to, to train fasted. And not to mention mentally, like when I do trading all day long, I feel so much sharper with just some caffeine and some water in the morning and that's it. And then just uh, empty stomach, my brain feels sharper. Second I eat, I'm like sluggish. Mm-hmm. I just want to kind of clear some things up for people because I think people get really confused on this stuff and we were just talking about post-workout um so post-workout and breakfast you know are two things that always get kind of mixed up your first meal of the day is always breakfast right it's breaking a fast right um post-workout i mean post-workout could be pre-workout and post-workout it could be any meal that you had prior yeah doesn't matter how long before it was and anything you had after your training session again doesn't matter how long it was later on now a lot of the information that we see lines up with saying, Hey, 30 minutes prior to your workout, you need to have protein. Mm. But these are the, these are kind of the only studies that they have. They don't right, have right. studies to really show what's the impact of eating four hours later. Right. You right, know, we right. don't, we don't really know. We just think that having a protein shake or something like that, or carbs and protein intra workout or post workout mm-hmm. is superior. But why do we know that? Well, we know that because there's supplement companies and we, we know that because that's where some of the research is. But, you know, people that are worried about not having a good workout because they don't have glycogen, it it wouldn't be true. Like if you fasted for 12 hours and worked out, it's not like you don't have any glycogen in your body. Yeah, right. You do. The, the human body will always have glycogen yeah. in it. Even, even when you buy meat from the store, sometimes the meat like that we get from like Piedmontese. And this is from any place, so I don't want to throw people (laughs) off. But when you get meat from anywhere, it might have a little bit of glycogen in it. It might have a little bit of carbohydrate in it. You're always going to have a little bit of carbohydrate in your system, even if you don't eat any carbohydrates. Right. Now, it's possible that you may have a lot less than somebody else, uh, but your blood sugar levels in your body, they only go so low. Right. So I think we just, we tend to make such a big thing. Uh, about these different things. And if you're trying to get big, yeah, eat, you know, eat, eat as much as you possibly can yeah, uh, within reason. But for the most part, I think that we tend to make such a big deal about what we have pre-workout, what we have post-workout. And I really think it just doesn't matter that much. It, 
all all that matters is that it just lines up well with whatever your goals are for that time. Yeah, and and, and what you said is especially true when you're in a nice caloric surplus or even just like a solid maintenance. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like we don't realize how fat we all are until we do a cut, yeah. and then once you're deep in that cut and you're you're you know you're hungry, you're eating less meals, you're losing fat every day, and then you look back and you're like. Wow, I can't believe how fat, even if you're only 12% body fat, you look back and you're like, I can't believe how fat I was. I had all that extra energy on me all the time. I took it for granted. So and then you go back to it and then you're like, even if you haven't eaten in 15 hours, you're like, well, look, this is, I got so much energy stored up here. Like I'm good to go. So right. it's like exactly what you said, man. A lot of it's psychology. People think you need to, and I'll tell lifters this too, because I'll see lifters like overeat like crazy before a big PR. And I tell them eat well before, especially the day before. I think it's more important to eat well the day before a PR than the yeah. actual morning of. Yeah. So I always tell them eat well and hydrate well, but don't go crazy. Don't go like nuts or do anything you wouldn't normally do. If anything, maybe your dinner can be a little bit bigger than usual. You can go out to eat and get yourself like it's something big and awesome but don't feel the need to like stuff yourself with something you wouldn't normally stuff yourself with mm. by the way uh since you do fast workouts and faster training have you ever tried uh electrolytes like element electrolytes or anything during your fast period um just the basic like either pedialyte or like even just like a powerade mixed with like a jug of water i've done that yeah. during the fast period bro yeah but you, you got to try that yeah we'll get yeah. you on it yeah mm-hmm. i'm down It'll make, down. it'll make a big difference. Yeah, we've been feeding them some of these element packets, but we we took all the good flavored ones, and now we just have the uh, <laughs> un- we have got unflavored, unflavored, and we have some spicy ones. Fortunately, I have a Kraft Singles palate, so <laughs> it's all good to me. Well, I think the so the Kraft Singles would have sodium in it, and yeah. cheese most of the time has calcium in it, but I don't know what that cheese is made out of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it might not have calcium. Just showing the world that we're here still. Oh, hey. We're still here. Hi, everybody. Hey. Oh, hey. We're recording the podcast, and we're recording the podcast. That's great. Just an update. We're still in the podcast. Tune in live. (laughs) Look at you. The pies. You know what was really weird was yesterday, Smokey, when he was showing me the questions from the live feed, it was like you and I standing there from like 20 (laughs) seconds ago. Mm -hmm. That was fucking bizarre. Oh wow, that is weird. It was really weird. I was like, I, know, this, I was like, this is the multiverse. This what, is what everyone's yeah. talking yeah. about. What's time. what's really tough about like I uh, did see that. That was that was weird. Yeah, I, I was like, I'm, you're I'm like, is that me now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so when you're when you're producing that though, you not only like you see it live, you you watch you know the delay, but then you hear the delay while hearing you guys oh. talk. Oh, man. So if there's a mistake that you catch, you know, just with like the whole YouTube setup and stuff, it's like, oh shit, can you guys not? do that five seconds ago like, <laughs> oh shit how did uh how did we go what was it two and a half minutes without audio yeah that's so what happened was <laughs> no nah, it was just uh we used a different computer so mm-hmm. like all the settings had to be reset well i, was just, I wasn't even giving you a hard time i was literally like how did that no, yeah did you guys not have headphones in for that or no so it's it's just one of those things where like the uh the audio was going to, oh you heard but it wasn't the recording software okay. but it, the software wasn't sending the right mm. output to YouTube. I got you. That makes sense. Yeah, and then so like once we realized like ah oh, shit like like no it, it wasn't that long but like two minutes it, in the moment yeah was at least I don't know like three years like yeah it right, felt right, like right forever right. like why is this not working like what's right. going on we just did it all did you pin a comment underneath yeah. it saying yeah, yeah. That, that's that big yeah I wasn't even giving you a hard time I was like no, no, curious no, no, literally how it works yeah yeah it was Andrew, just a different machine did you see the weird explosion in Elk Grove oh seriously I heard. So okay, this this is this is beyond weird. Uh, I actually, There's I was, some alien shit going yeah, on. I was actually just talking to them about my annoying ass dogs. They just wake up in the middle of the night, just 
go to the bathroom. Some weird shit just, going on in SEMA. It happens. Uh, I let them out, and then I heard the noise, and I was like, like it, it, at, in that moment, because I'm still like half asleep, it sounded like somebody broke down like my fence. Like it was just like a loud like thump, like something fell over. But I'm like, huh, that's weird. And then I woke up, and uh, you know, like the uh, like the Ring app, it has like everybody can like discuss. Like, did you guys hear yeah. this in the neighborhood? And I I seen that. I'm like, oh, okay, so it wasn't just somebody like trying to break what in. What was it? I, I don't even know. So on the I don't news, watch the news. <laughs> well, on the news this morning, it had. Uh, just like some random explosion happened at like two in the morning, yeah. like in Elk Grove. And there's this big, uh, there's video of it. There's, there's just this big light and nobody knows what it was. And oh, they're like shit. a transformer didn't blow up. Nobody had a power outage. Wow. But yeah, there's been some weird shit going on, like during this whole like COVID thing. California's and the, weird, man. California's really weird. But during this <laughs> quarantine, uh, they started to like leak information about like alien ships and stuff. Have you seen it? Yeah, stuff? I have. I have seen that. Yeah. There's like uh, spacecrafts that have been uh, that they're that they said are not. They don't. They're, <laughs> they're not. They don't believe they're from this universe. They don't believe this, they're from this world. What you guys have both been hearing about this? Yeah, I heard shit about this. This is. It's I fucking mean, bizarre. This is like not, I mean, it's like official statements from like this our. This is government. like all over the timeline, like in, in, Facebook feeds. Yeah, wow. it's weird though because they, you know, the time that they released it, they're like, "Hey, there's so much chaos going on between COVID. No and one cared. Everything else Just going on. No one cared. Yeah. It wasn't even like viral news. Yeah. It was like, all right. <laughs> and then uh, I've heard Rogan talking about it quite a bit, and he's like, "I think they're just trying to like trickle this information out because sneak it out." <laughs> and one guy had a really good point. Lex Friedman had a really good point where he said that things that are alien might be so alien that we might not even recognize them. Mm. Like you might not even, you might not even notice. Yeah. Uh, right. Or like if you said something, if you, if you just said something crazy, I just wouldn't fucking believe you. Yeah. yeah and you'd yeah, be yeah. like, Oh, I tried to video it, but it didn't come out on my camera. Yeah. Cause like you're not, you can't video this species or whatever. We'd be like, yeah, sure, dude. Like whatever. Yeah. Well, there's it, no way it, I believe it, it makes sense when you think about just the, the stuff that we can't even get our heads around of our own earth, like right. ions, like we can't see them. It's right. not <laughs> the concept of oxygen. We right. can't see that. It's insane. Like the uh, microbacteria that's on us right now that we can't see. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if there's all that stuff that we can't even see, and that's just like within our world. And that's, <laughs> that's been grown through evolution of being on this rock with its climate and everything. Right. Like imagine what would come from somewhere deep in space that <laughs> totally different environment. Environment. Yeah, it might be something that we can't even process can't. with our five senses. Mm-hmm. There's a guy that uh, uh, on a radar and it's been confirmed by other people as well. And there, I think there may have been video, but like this thing goes from like zero feet to 60,000 feet in like a second. Wait, and there's like there's there's not anything that we have that mm. can do anything remotely close to that. Wait, what? What thing? He like he was an object, an object, an object, and 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 they were asking like if it's a star and stuff like that, and they don't they don't think it was a star, but it was like recorded on radar. Um, but there was something else about it too, where so what? So what they said was there is a possibility that it's like a, a spy plane or something that is just throwing the radar off so much that like mm-hmm. they can't they can't track anything that's going on because. There is some technology like that, like mm. a like a stealth bomber, like yeah, yeah, can kind of go undetected and and things like mm. that. So that was like the one thing where they're like, yeah, may, maybe somebody has this technology to do this, but they don't even know how that's possible. Yeah. So there's a lot of weird shit going yeah, on. And I can't find anything about that explosion in Elk Grove. You can't find anything. I can't find shit. They they must have killed the guy <laughs> <laughs> or the alien. But yeah, I remember Rogan talking about like 
why do we think that an alien's going to come and just be like a physical form? Yeah, right, like right. He could be, or they could be like a gas, and we just can't even yeah, see it. Yeah, something just not... Mm-hmm. And like, our se- we forget that our senses are limited as it is. Like, there are more colors available to be seen right. than we can actually see. We just, we don't have the ability in our eyes to process them. I think like certain flies can actually see like an insane amount of colors. Like, wow. colors that we've never seen that we don't even know are possible. So it's like, and then... You know, hearing like we can't hear the same high pitched frequencies that dogs can hear. Right. So mm-hmm. there's sounds that are actually going on around us that we are totally oblivious to. Same with smell. Mm-hmm. Like this whole world's being painted in, in an animal's nose that we're totally oblivious to. So it's like it's very possible that something came from outer space, aka an environment where its evolution would yield something totally different than anything that would be evolved here on our planet. Yeah. It's totally feasible that like we just wouldn't have a way of even recognizing it. Not to mention how oblivious we might be to it too, because again we we're we're arrogant as humans, but like, do you think like the mites we look at through a microscope are aware of us watching them? We have the technology to do that. So if something does have the technology to come and reach us or the means to, mm-hmm. it, it might be in a way where we're kind of totally oblivious to it. At least they don't want to kill us, it seems. Hopefully. Yeah. Or maybe they already are. They're harvesting us. COVID. They're studying us. The Rona. The Rona. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got coming up next, Nick? Uh... <sighs> Running for president? No, no, not yet. Right. Not yet. <laughs> not throwing your hat in no. there yet. <laughs> Honestly, I got nothing, nothing, because the years has been so shut down. Mm. So nothing of note to really mention because like traveling kind of all got put on hold. This is the first trip we've done in 2020. Wow. So yeah, I'm just kind of taking it as it comes, just continuing trading. I'm excited to get back to programming and get stronger. Obviously, continue putting hey, out good content. What do you think of that bicep board? We haven't used it for biceps even yet, but we did it for lats That yesterday. was cool. That was cool. I was, un- to be very honest, I was unsure how it'd be because there's just so many like different like gimmicky equipment out there that's just like, even even regular gyms, just so many different handle variations and some of it's like I have no use for. So I wasn't sure what to expect with that. I was like, okay, I mean, it might be kind of cool in concept and something I never really use realistically. And I was surprised and, and wrong. That thing's cool. I would use that 100% if I had that at my gym. Just wait until yeah. you use it for biceps. Yeah, it'd be yeah, great right. when you use it for biceps. They will get a big, get a big pump going. Yeah. That was that was that was impressive. I want one for my gym. Well, it's always great having you out here. We got a lot of respect uh, for you and your lady, and just appreciate you coming out. It's always a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Uh, hopefully tonight we can enjoy a glass of wine or three. Yes. Craft cheese. Sounds perfect. <laughs> and so we'll get you. Yeah, we'll get you set up with. You're some not disrespect my lord and savior. Very. <laughs> get you some very fancy, fancy, top of the line craft cheese. Hey, perfect. Sounds good, man. I appreciate you having me out here. Always love coming out to the Slingshot family. Where can people find you? YouTube.com slash Nick Wright. And then Instagram and Twitter are both at Nick Wright NWB. Um, I'm always responding on Twitter because it's smaller, so it's easier. And I try to get back to you on Instagram as well. But yeah, definitely stick around. Follow me. Follow me on YouTube, guys, for informative videos. That's my main thing this year. Um, I think you guys will be impressed with the content I'm bringing to the table info-wise on strength training. Hell yeah. Andrew, take us on out of here, buddy. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for checking out today's live stream. It was cool chatting with everybody. A uh, huge shout-out, and thank you to uh, Freesleeve for sponsoring this episode. For more information on them, please check the uh, YouTube and Facebook description and uh, podcast show notes. Please make sure you follow the podcast at Mark Wells Power Project on Instagram. Interact with us. We like to have a lot of fun with everybody and tell jokes, memes, all that good stuff. Uh, at MB Power Project on Twitter. Uh, and then, uh-oh. Oh, I missed it. I had to change the angle one more time. One more time for the camera. Look at that. Just showing the before the bicep board and after the bicep board. Wow. 
thickness. 24 inches. Looks like Mount Everest over <laughs> thank there. You. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. My Instagram is at I am Andrew Z and Sima, where are you at? At Sima Inyang on Instagram and YouTube. At Sima Inyang on Twitter. Mark. That is the most extra name. Insignia. How do you say your last name? Iyang. But I say I say in Yang because that's how people can't say it the right way. I dig it. That's so much cooler than Nick Wright. (laughs) (laughs) Nick Wright and Mark Bell. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's like Clark Kent. Oh no. Terrible. Hey, easy to say. You're just creative. Natty Professor, is there any way that this guy is natural? Look at the size of these biceps he's got going on. No, no, no. I need to make a Natty or Not video on him and just show how unnatural he is. Do it. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> well, that craft cheese can't be natural. What's, mm. he, what's he running, you think? Trend? Yeah, uh, Trend, some D-ball, maybe some uh, Winstrol. A little and An- Anivar on cruise. Anivar, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And he's Damn, probably doing shit. In SEMA every once in a while. A little bit of test. In SEMA every once in a while, he'll slip up on the show, and he's like, yeah, I've been using creatine, and like... <laughs> like, whoa! Then he mentioned a multivitamin one time, and yeah, just like... Shouldn't meet your heroes. Shit. Right. Never yeah, a good idea. We've still been reeling from that. Never recovered. And then he punched me like a podcast oh, or two ago. The wow. shit out of him. Hey, he punched me. Wow. No, I didn't even I think. was hyped up on eight Kratom pills. And then, <laughs> <laughs> no, and then something was said. I was just like, oh, that's hilarious. And it was like a, it was like a whack on his arm. I was like, oh, shit. That's hilarious, arm bar. <laughs> still, got a, still got a bruise there. Oh, Tri- that tricep will never be the same. Should have choked Sandra through the table. I know, right? Made a whole show out of it. I don't think I can, though. That's the thing. I, I've tried to kick him off. I mean, we've tried a lot of stuff. I've tried yeah. to kick him off the team and stuff, and just keeps showing up. That's because he gave like, me the key. I made eight copies. He <laughs> never gave to kick me out. <laughs> One for each pillow kratom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Mark's Millie Bell. Strength is never a weakness. Weakness is never a strength. Catch y'all later. <laughs>